All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez, and I'm here with John Downing and Marty Griffin, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Boys, 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 we are back. Uh, It's good to see you guys again and be able to talk sports. It's been like a a month and a half since we were last last together doing this, so... uh, Marty, how uh, I know you've been really busy putting a business together. Excited for the the collective bar that's going to be opening up here in Brattleboro. How you doing? Not bad. I mean, it's a lot to take on with uh, you know still trying to work a full time job and get this going. But you got to do what you got to do to to get there. And got vaccinated yesterday, which is the good news. Bad news is I think just with everything and burning candle at both ends, it really just knocked me out for the since about 9 9 p.m. last night, but can't complain. Things are going uh, smooth, and in the world of COVID, uh, it's always interesting trying to get a hold of town and state officials, so that's the biggest hurdle for us right now, but we're uh, chugging along and still hoping to be open uh, mid-June, so got something to look forward to. Awesome, awesome, and Johnny, how are you doing, my friend? It was good to see you the other day. Yeah, it was good to see you too. No, thing, things are good. Things are rolling right along. Positive. All good. All right. Well, we uh, we won't waste any more time on the pleasantries. Let's get right into it with our number 72s for our episode 72. Uh, Johnny, you want to kick us off? Sure. I'll go uh, John Hog Hanna. He was a Patriots guard and he played in the NFL from 1973 to 1985, uh, nicknamed Hog Hanna, and he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1991, College Football Hall of Fame in 1999. Uh, the Sporting News ranked him as the second greatest offensive lineman of uh, in NFL history, only to Anthony Munoz being the best. Uh, so that's my 72, John Hog Hanna. All right. Patriots legend. I wonder if he got his nickname in the locker room. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, Marty, you want to hit us next with your 72? Speaking of legends, we're going to go with uh, Larry Allen, uh, guard for Dallas Cowboys. We're talking back in the uh, 90s era when the Cowboys were at their best. Uh, just doing some reading up right here. I didn't know he had such a troubled childhood growing up out of Compton, California. Um, Contracted meningitis, almost died at age at, when he was six weeks old. But it says right here he's stabbed 12 times in the head, shoulder, and neck by a younger neighbor while trying to protect his 10-year-old brother. Jesus so, uh, Christ. <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought Paul Pierce was a bad bit badass. Put uh, that on his draft resume, man. Yeah, exactly, right? Great. So, you know, we're talking about a Super Bowl champion, uh, 11-time Pro Bowler, 7-time First Team All-Pro. Uh, all decade, uh, just in the Cowboys ring of honor, just a beast on the field. Uh, I remember one fumble return and they clocked him at somewhere around a four nine. And so that's, you know, a 325 pound man running a four nine down the field, which has got to be absolutely crazy. But uh, that's my number 72, Larry Allen. Very cool. And for my number 72, I went with Patrick Gosta 
Horny Hornquist, uh, the Swedish professional ice hockey player, formerly of the Pittsburgh Penguins, now an alternate captain for the Florida Panthers, who are absolutely kicking ass in the Central Division right now. He won two cups with the Penguins. Uh, Most famously, he scored the cup-winning goal in the 2017 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs against his former team, the Nashville Predators. Just tough-nosed. A hockey player, one of those guys who stands in front of the net and just gets punished and punished, uh, plays a really tough, gritty, hard game, but not a dirty player uh, like that scumbag Tom Wilson. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. Plays by the code, does his thing, uh, was well rewarded with two cups and a ton of money, and now we'll see what he does with, uh, with the Florida Panthers. So far... In 770 games, he has 238 goals, 242 assists for 480 points and 395 penalty minutes. My number 72 is Patrick Hornquist. Okay, and we got a lot to get to today, so we'll get right into it. Johnny, the MLB is now a month and change in. What are your first thoughts about this first season coming out of the the covid madness i'm re-energized with baseball to be honest with you after the 2020 covid season was pretty much a dud in my mind just it started out with no you know with no fans in the stands for the games and that i thought made the games have a different feel even the postseason was different and as much as they tried to make it real with the fake noise and the fake fans it didn't have the same effect and while i still think the dodgers don't deserve an asterisk and they were the champions and i think they would have been in in a regular season i think that 2021 has come out with tons of excitement and i just think that there's so many great young players in the game today that are really taking it to the next level and it's shown in the in the ratings for MLB and it's shown on MLB the app has had its most usage in the history of its usage. Up. I like that. Yes, yeah, it was an MLB the MLB app in 20 years of it being around. This is the most it's gotten used by people. So fans are interacting and and I I just think it has a lot to do with a lot of the young stars in the game today. There's just a lot of exciting young players and I know I I quickly re-upped and got my MLB extra innings package so I can see all the West Coast games because there's a lot of good players out West, too. So, Dodgers Padres is appointment television right now. Absolutely. You know, to, with Tatis and the Padres doing all they can, but then even in Atlanta with Acuna. And then locally, I, I you know, locally in the Boston, New England region, it was kind of like, oh, this Red Sox season is probably going to suck again. But they've come out and they've played really well. They're 18 and 12 through the first 30 games, and they're playing with passion. They've had a lot of comeback wins. That's kind of what does it for me. I like a team that shows fight. When it gets down, it doesn't just quit and check out. And that's one thing I've always noticed early on is the sign of a team that can kind of do something. So I've liked that a lot about the Red Sox. Although they've started to slip a little bit lately, the Yankees are catching up along with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Blue Jays. So, And they haven't even played any of the Yankees games yet, so there's still 18 more of those to go. So it's going to be a fight if they want to win the AL East. Every, on the everything, flip, every, flip side, oh, 
we go to the NL West and we're talking about the Dodgers and we're talking about the Padres, right? But guess who's in first place? The freaking San Francisco Giants. And who who do they have on their team? Nobody. It's just one of those things. It's like the 2010 Giants all over again. They have a roster of nobodies, and they're just winning games. So that's nice to see as well. It's nice to see that kind of addition. And the Dodgers have been struggling a lot lately. And then you come back to the American League, look at the AL Central, and the Kansas City Royals are playing really well. I had I kind of hinted that they might be better than we thought at the beginning of the year before the season started, but... And they've, they've shown me something. They have a lot of good young pitchers, and they have a roster that kind of just fits nicely together. And a lot of their player, their good players are young, and they made the Benintendi trade, and he's starting to come along. So the Royals look good, and the White Sox have had some tough injuries to Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. So I'm not as high on the White Sox as I was. And then you go to the AL West, and you look at freaking Shohei Otani. It's showtime, baby. And the guy's pitching, and the guy's hitting, hitting bombs. He's stealing bases. He's hitting doubles on grounders through the infield. It, the guy is incredible. So, is there I a th- shelf life on that though? Like, how can one body take that kind of abuse over the long haul? Because that's that's what baseball is. It can do anything for a month, which is why yeah. people say that you know this last season, this fifty game season, didn't count. Because it's all about the longevity and it's all about what you can do over 162 games. So here's what I know about Otani. So they've kept him in bubble wrap the first few years he's been in the league. And that has not worked out. When you try to overprotect a guy in baseball, it doesn't work out. You want your players to play. Like Steven Strasburg early on, they had the Strasburg rules. And guess what? He still needed Tommy John surgery. When you let the guys play the game, that's when they perform their best. And the general manager of the Angels said before the season said, you know, we're going to hit him on the daisy pitches before and after the daisy pitches. And we're just going to let him go out there and play baseball every day. And they've been a little cautious on the pitching side, I've noticed, with him. But hitting wise, they're letting him hit every single day. And obviously it's worked wonders. So I just think they need to keep it going. Yeah, you want to keep monitoring his innings workload as far as pitching, because if you're going to go far, you want him to be fresh in the playoffs, obviously. But batting-wise, he, he looks like he's going to put up a monster, monster season. So, And they got every pitcher in bubble wrap right now. Well, you know, with the, baseball's the become more specialized, obviously. Yeah, so the starting pitchers driven. only face, in general, they only face the lineup two times through. You want to try to avoid the third time through the batting order. So the middle relievers and the, the closers at the end have become more important to today's game. Well, I think one more thing just to point out is Moneyball is back in Oakland, too. Those guys are playing out, playing well, and jumped out of the gate. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing what I didn't expect. I mean, I expected them to kind of come out their record and be right there with Seattle and, and Houston in the mix. But what they've done out there at the start of the season has been pretty fun to watch. Um, well, they started 1-6. Uh, and six, Yeah. And then they won 13 in a row. And you just can't, and we'll talk about it, and we'll get into it about uh, Houston going to the Yankees. It's just the Yankees are peaking at the right time, and, and now for them to get kind of get this 10,000-person crowd behind them, which sounds like a full stadium, everything is just kind of rolling in the right direction for the Yankees right now. So, so watch out what's happening over there. A couple of things that I, I wanted to bring up that I thought were notable from this last month. Nationals pitcher uh, Max Scherzer threw a complete game in a victory over the Marlins, 3-1 victory. And then as soon as he finished this five-hit, one-run, nine-strikeout game, hopped directly in a car right to the hospital. 
uh, where he was uh, with his wife to welcome their third child, a baby boy. This is his eighth complete game with no walks since 2015. Uh, two more than the closest other person. This guy's a fucking monster. The Aaron Rodgers of baseball. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Max, Max Scherzer wins, though. <laughs> He's got, he won a championship. Well, so Just did but, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, long time ago. <laughs> we'll get into that later. I couldn't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> and then we got Madison Bumgarner throwing a seven-inning no-hitter that somehow they've decided won't count as a, a no-hitter. Well, if that doesn't count, do any of the stats count? Do Does the win count? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? What are your thoughts on it, John? I think if that's the rules of the game is a seven-inning game, I think, and you throw a no-hitter, it's a no-hitter. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And then there was a real no-hitter this afternoon. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say that. I'm kind of contradicting my own point there. Uh, but I guess they're saying it's not a real hit, no-hitter, but in their eyes, there was a real no-hitter this afternoon with the Baltimore Orioles' John Means no-hitting the Seattle Mariners with 12 strikeouts. Um, great game by John Means, who's really burst on the scene this year as the ace of the Orioles' staff. So something to, for the Baltimore fans to be excited about. All right. Going back to Boston, Johnny, like it, it's pretty interesting to see with the starting you know, rotation. Now they're leading as far as the league. Uh, they're number one in rankings as far as wins out of that starting five. I think they're five and four in, in uh, ERA and also uh, uh, runs against. But what are your thoughts? What needs to change when you get down in the ladder order once you start getting into that bullpen? I mean, where, where do well, the Red Sox take off right there? That's the issues with the Red Sox is the bottom of the order the uh, in the outfield, seven, eight, nine, that – how good would Andrew Benintendi look in that lineup now? Right. And they traded him mm-hmm. for freaking Franchi Cordero, who can't play in the field. He stinks. He He's already lost a game for us in the outfield. He's one for 35 at the plate. <clears throat> Wait, hold and on. It, Did you say us? I thought, Johnny, I thought you were a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Dodgers and Padres. <laughs> yeah, yeah but you Sox. just said, oh, yeah. the Red Sox. No, hold on, hold on. You... Yeah, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. We talked about it last <laughs> last podcast. You were <laughs> Johnny. Johnny's walking right into his fraud of the week. I am. I am. I know. It's embarrassing. I know. I know. And I tried to hide it from you guys for like the first month that I was rooting for the Red Sox, and I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, the Red Sox are worse than heroin. I'm telling you guys, like I, I should not be a fan of them because they really made me upset. And getting rid of Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi and just the things that they do really made me upset at the ownership level. And But the team on the field, it's hard not to root for them, especially when you see them playing the way you want your team to play. So it becomes almost automatic, and you just got the games on, and you're rooting for them, and it's like you get into it. And so, Like a bad ex-girlfriend. Am I, am I guilty? Yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> you got to be a little excited, too, with Renfro heating up as well. Like watching him last night take two in the opposite field just trying to get the hits out there like if he yeah. starts hitting if he starts heating up he can put that, some that numbers up in home runs yeah absolutely but man that franchi cordero andrew Bententi. when you look at some of these things that they've done it's like come on man like Benintendi would be perfect on that team right now instead yeah. of franchi cordero and then you look at like the bullpen the yankees 
were happy to give us Ottavino, and he's blown three games for the Red Sox, and they've only lost 12. So <laughs> you do the math. He's got 25% of the losses, and he barely pitches. So that hasn't worked out too well. But Matt Barnes has been fantastic, and Garrett Whitlock has been tremendous in the bullpen. But they, they want to use him sparingly because he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. And I think as long as the Red Sox are in it, I'm not sure how much they're going to do trade-wise for acquisitions because they don't have – they're trying to rebuild the farm system and rebuild the organization. So I don't think they want to go out and get rid of prospects. But they might get the best acquisition of all if they can get Chris Sale back on the mound in late June, early July. He just got on a mound this week, and we've seen that pitchers, when they come back from Tommy John surgery, are sometimes better. And that's a scary thought for Chris Sale because – when he was good, he was as good as anyone. So it'll be interesting to see if what he can provide, uh, if he can provide a boost to the team this year. If they can just stay close enough to first place and in the playoff hunt, I think he'll really help. You got to love it when things like that come together because getting a star like that off of the injured reserve is like making a big acquisition but it doesn't cost you anything it's you know right. it's it's kind of homegrown like uh the penguins getting Malkin right now it's just like such a huge boost as you head well, into the they're paying them a ton so it is costing them <laughs> right well he, he accounts for a huge part of the, s- the salary on the team right but you don't have to give up assets and I, I get what you're saying i get what you're yeah. saying I'm just interested to see if the front office, if it came down to that point of needing a couple of key players later in the season, if the Red Sox will actually spend and really go out to be that winner in that division this year, because they don't, I don't have hope in that. I really, I I agree. Like we said that, so what the team is doing is surprising even ownership and, and management levels, because they, like they said, we are looking to rebuild. The organization was barren. There was nothing at the lower levels. And so they had a lot of work to do. And hence the Mookie Betts trade, hence the Benintendi trade. And, you know, clearing payroll and getting guys in the minor league system and getting into the draft. And so the last thing I think they expected was to be competitive this year and then have to give up assets to get players to add to your major league roster. I don't think they expected to do that at all this year. And it, you're right, Marty, it'll be interesting to see what they do when July comes and they're still in the race and you owe it to the team to do something. But then again, you don't want to because you're trying to acquire assets for the lower levels. So right, it'll be a little conundrum to be curious to see how that shakes out. All right. And I got one last MLB story for us to talk about today. It is Genesis Cabrera. Uh, with his first pitch earlier this week, hitting Bryce Harper in the fucking face with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. It is a miracle of God or whatever deity that you believe controls this universe. That every Did you see your guy, too? In your his catcher? face. Stallings got 97 in his on his nose. Oh, my God. The other no. day. Right, it brushed his nose. He was fine to stay in the game, but 97, it, it went... Right, right, right across his nose. Well, this one didn't go right across uh, Bryce Harper's face. This went directly into his face. Obviously, he left the game. Cabrera was visibly upset, crouching to the ground, holding his head. You could, you could tell he, you know, he was trying to throw high and in, but he wasn't trying to hit him in the goddamn face. Uh, <laughs> and then Didi Gregorius uh, steps up to the plate. The very next pitch, the second pitch that this guy throws, 
hits him right in the ribs, 95 mile an hour fastball. So then Joe Girardi comes out and is like, you need to eject this guy from the game. Clearly he is a danger to my players. He's thrown two pitches in this game uh, and he's taken out both of them. Both players had to leave the game. Gregorius did did come back to actually, uh, I believe it was the go-ahead run. But the umps issued warnings to both benches. No bullshit, please. <laughs> and uh, didn't kick the pitcher out of the game. And because of the three batter rule, the other manager wasn't uh, able to pull the guy out either. He was able to get out of the inning, though, without murdering any other people. So uh, good on him. All right. Well, uh, speaking of murdering people, let's move over to basketball. And <laughs> Steph Curry has a sizable scoring lead on the entire field. The He's really shooting, going off this year. The best shooting guard ever to play the game. The best shooter to ever play the game. Sorry. What Steph Curry is doing right now is just unbelievable. He's the best shooter in the NBA of all time, in my mind. You can't you can't talk me out of that. Close second is just in this stretch that uh, Russell Westbrook has been on uh, alongside Bradley Bill with Washington. But I don't know if you watched last night. The actual lights went out in the stadium as he was shooting a three-pointer. And from there, he went one to eleven. The next, the uh, the rest of the game. So maybe uh, other teams should figure out how to how to cut the breaker when he gets hot right there. But you know, it's just unfortunate with the team that he has this year that he won't be an MVP. But this has been one hell of an MVP type season for him uh, for sure. Do they do the scoring title in like a scoring title in basketball? Yeah. yeah. And he's got. Is this right? Does he really have a 90, almost 100-point lead on the rest of the field over Bradley Beal? I, I they, they do points per game. Points yeah. per game is the scoring leader. Yeah. Okay. So that would be, um, what's he, 30-31-something? 30, Sounds right. Sounds 31.8. Right. Like, that's insane. What did Iverson average that year, Johnny, when he won the scoring title? He was right up there in those same numbers. Yeah, it's it's usually right around there. I know Jordan, yeah. one of his peak years, had thirty-seven. It's it's just but how that was high. Yeah, and it's just how Curry is doing it and what he's doing. It's just absolutely amazing. And and how how far back these guys are shooting now. It's just interesting. I'm very curious to see if they even move the three point line back within the next five years. You're gonna have he, to. The yeah. way he's at- in, the way scoring's increasing in the league right now. Yeah, it, it's almost too much or they got to change something or the way that the fouls are. You can't touch anyone. You brush up against somebody. It's a foul. Not right. to get on this kind of a side topic, but the scoring is kind of out of control. It's, it's gone. I mean, if you look at just go from the 90s scoring, the games were in the high 80s, low 90s. And now all of a sudden you're looking at games consistently. Um, teams like 130 to 120. In that and that that's a regular thing. So you're getting like 240, 250 points a game, and I know scoring drives eyeballs to the screen, but sometimes it's a little too much. I think. So I think St- Steph Curry is at uh, 31 and a half points per game uh, right now, and as I as I look at the um, the stats here, Rudy Gobert is kind of having a sneaky good season after being the COVID stooge last year. He's had a great season. He's yeah. been a de- defensive uh, powerhouse, rebounding powerhouse um, for the Jazz. He's one of the key con- components of why they're playing so well. 
Um, I think the Jazz have peaked a little bit and are on the downslide right now as the Suns keep doing what they're doing, especially on the road and, and taking wins. Uh, the West is definitely going to get interesting for sure. Um, so, Marty, you were saying the other day that to bet on the Suns and the rich and creamies as future rich. bets to, to win it and not the Lakers or the Clippers? I just don't see how you – I think the Lakers, looking at their schedule, you got Lakers, they got uh, the Trailblazers and Suns the next two games, and then you got the Knicks who are going to be fighting for their five, four and five seed position out in the East. So you got to figure they're going to lose two out of three of those games without LeBron right there because those teams are going to want it more. I think you're going to see them slide in that play-in position as the Lakers, and you don't want you don't want to see that with LeBron's ankle the way it is with no. AD and Drummond. You don't want to do a play-in game. You saw how these games took a toll on, Especially toll on the, last year in the bubble. Who's who's the eight seed right now? Is it Golden Golden State's the nine, right? Golden State's the nine, and so you've got, it would it cha- it's been changing, right? So right, it could be Dallas, it could around. be Portland. Dallas is, is is at a five, but you got a one game difference sitting between basically Mavs, Lakers, and Trailblazers sitting right there. I don't I don't see how the Warriors can get into that. They got the Jazz Sun and the and the surging who's not going to make it, but they're out there to upset people. The Grizzlies right now, which is one of my favorite teams with Morant to watch right now. Mm-hmm. So Warriors have a tough toll ahead of them right there as well, but. You know, it's it's one of these things. This playing game, and I know these 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 guys don't like it, and and I get that. And uh, my, LeBron definitely doesn't like well, it. Would he be bitching if he wasn't in that position? No, not whatsoever. Right. He wouldn't even be bringing it up. Too bad. And that's the way you know sports go. Is it's only a problem if you're the one under the axe. So what you're going to see possibly, and there will be flack. Jay Adonde, who I follow sometimes, and he's pretty like powder puff and really doesn't really instigate anything, but he's like. You're really going to create a situation that might push out your two biggest East and West Coast teams, meaning the Celtics and Lakers, from the playoffs if they fall into the play-in situation. My thing is, if you you're get two what you games deserve. out, if you're yeah, if you're two games out, you're one game out right now between the sixth seed and the eighth seed, possibly ninth seed. Hey, you got something to fight for. I think it's kind of yeah. fun because when you get later in the season, with the last two weeks left, a lot of those games are me- meaningless. They're sitting their 100%. players, they're just going through. So now you're really fighting for something. And even for those top seeds, I don't think you want to see the Trailblazers right now. I don't really think you want to deal with them whatsoever. I agree. And I agree. And if, I think and if they're the, a good bet. Right. The Trailblazers, they're right. talented. And I think if, you know, the Lakers do the playing game and LeBron, you know, somehow magically comes back, you don't want to see them as a one or two seed as well and have to play so them. So, Marty, on the flip side, it's just putting the pieces together. So you don't want to be in the play-in game because – Okay, the playoffs start, all right? And the first thing's first. So the seven seed plays the eight seed, and then the nine seed plays the ten seed, right? And so the winner of the seven-eight game is the seven seed. Right. And then the loser of the seven-eight game plays the winner winner of of the nine-ten game. Right. Okay? Oh, my God. And so then the winner of that game becomes the eight seed, right? Right. So the seven and eight seed has especially the eight seed, has already gone through some tough playoff battles. Not series, but games, right? Right. So on the flip side, what that does for the one and two seeds is it creates, I think, an even bigger advantage to being the one and two seed because you're getting a team that may be a little weary, right? That may be a little like, oh, man, right. we just went through. We had to play two tough games to get here. Too hard. Like Now we got to play the number one seed. Right. Yeah, so especially the eight edge. Especially the eight seed who goes through a loss first, right. and then the thrill of victory second. 
Right. And you're talking about, you know, also coming out of COVID, a very shortened off season too. Like these, some of these players and some of these bodies are going to beat up, be beat up by the end of, end of the season. But, you know, if you get a Charlotte who can, who can take a game from you, they have the talent, they can hit the streak. Um, you know, if Boston falls to that, they have that, you know, if Kimba has a great game and everything's flowing with Brown and, and Tatum, you know, you just don't want to see those guys. Celtics have to play in the play-in game, man. And it looks like they're going to, but it's just like, how did it come to this? How did it come right. to the Celtics room in the freaking play-in game? And I said it early on in the season. I knew it would be a struggle, but I didn't think it would be like this, man. It would. It, like right. they've had some some losses out there, like Stupid Oklahoma losses. City. They lost. Oklahoma City had lost fourteen games in a row, and that team was trying to lose. And they're the youngest team in the league. They're like a freaking G team, and they come into the Boston Garden and they beat the fucking Celtics to a pulp. Like it, it was ridiculous that game. Right. And you what? look at the Celtics, and it's just like, you get what you deserve. I, you know, I hope they don't have to play in the play-in game, but if they do, you get what you deserve, and that's, to, that's it. Yeah. I try to find justification for it, as you're talking about youth, Johnny. I think they're the third youngest right behind uh, Orlando, then, you know, Oklahoma City. So when you don't have those veteran six, seven, eighth player on the bench trying to keep your younger guys focused, uh, you know, it can be hard. You know, you, you don't know the grind. You don't know the pressure. And you need these, you know, you know, eight to ten year veterans like looking over your shoulder, breathing down oh, your Marty. neck. They that's think me, they're my, better than me. everyone. They oh, think they're they because because they've been playing to their competition level all year long. And here's further proof. So the the West Coast teams that they've just been playing, you know, they beat the Suns, they beat the Spurs, they beat the Blazers in Portland. They went eight and one over a nine game stretch recently against the West Coast teams, which was yeah. super impressive. But in the meantime, they're losing to these garbage teams. They're losing to the Bulls. They're losing to the Thunder. They Are they lost the Steelers? The... Right. It's like, and, and here's the thing. <laughs> way, it's yes, it's, yes, it's yes, not yes. just a player thing, Nesto. It, it's an organizational thing. Yes. Because before the game start, they intentionally rest their key players against the bad teams, thinking that, oh, we have a layup, we have a cupcake matchup tonight. We don't need to play our best players, so we give them the night off. And what do you think that says to the young players? oh, this game's going to be easy. We don't need so-and-so tonight. We don't need so-and-so tonight because this game's going to be easy. Well, this in 2021 in the NBA, nothing is easy. Everybody wants some, is playing for something. It's, it's different, I feel like, nowadays. And even so even matchups against the lesser teams are more than they were in the past. <clears throat> teams aren't just trying to lose like they had been for years actively. And you so I do, think you, the, yeah. the message for the Celtics has been right from the top. I think it's been... You know, play to the level of your competition. You're good enough to play with the best teams, and you're better than the bad teams, so don't worry about them. But then they're not good enough to take their foot off the gas, though. You need to bury those bad teams. Instead, they mess around with them for quarters on, t on a time. Then they have to come back. This is how it's been all year long. It's been clockwork. They, they go against the bad teams. They get down big early because they're not ready for the game. They have to make a big, giant comeback, and they do. They make the game closer. They take the lead late, and then they lose it at the end because they've ran out of steam. And then it's like, oh man, how did we just lose to the freaking Detroit Pistons? How did we just lose to the freaking Bulls? How did we just lose to the Thunder? And it, it's unbelievable the losses that they have on their, their resume this year. So if they get the seven or eight seed and you lose to the freaking Hornets who are gonna get LaMelo Ball, who have LaMelo Ball back, who are gonna get Gordon Hayward back, you lose to them, you get what you deserve. Absolutely, and you talk about what Tatum did the other night in the 60 game performance, you know, tying Larry Bird. And everybody's like jumping on Twitter feed like this is one of the greatest. He's one of he's gonna be the next greatest pair. He is the next library. You know what? 
Larry did that 60-point score while keeping the foot on his opponent's neck and not letting him back in the game. He didn't have to climb back that way. If, if that was a situation Larry Bird having to come back and play that hard to win the game on his own, he'd be in a locker room throwing towels and shoes at all his teammates telling him to get their shit together. That's where Tatum needs to step up as a leader of that team. But, you know, like I agree with you totally, Johnny. Tonight was a perfect example. I watched the first half against Orlando, and, and here they are. They come out of the gate hot. They get up by, you know, 15, 16 points going to the second quarter. They sit everybody, and they go 0 for 9 out of the gate in the second quarter and let Orlando right back in the game. And it's just like this is the most this is the most important time right now to be gelling and figuring it out, not not just taking a step back because you got a little bit of a lead. Yeah, secure the wins. That's yes, what you need absolutely. to be doing. Securing the wins. Every win is important from here on out. Every win has been important for the last twenty games. Yeah. So looking here, Johnny, the Celtics are in sixth place as it stands. Are we expecting that not to stand? Well, if you, if you look at it, there's... The Knicks are the four seed, which we, I mean, we should give more praise to the Knicks. Absolutely. I know Dolan, the owner, we absolutely hate, and we should get ripped on. He should get ripped on quite a bit because uh, not only does he own the Knicks, but he owns the New York Rangers and whatever shenanigans is going on there. But the Knicks as a team, and Tom Thibodeau as a coach, have been on fire. And the Knicks is, as a good team is something we haven't seen in a long, long, long time. So it's fun to see. And then right behind them is the Atlanta Hawks in the five seed. And I've heard recently that there were three very large bets placed on the Atlanta Hawks to win the East. Anything behind that, Marty? Well, I, I think what you're seeing with Trey Young uh, coming in and then the play of Capella lately, he has been the anchor to this win streak that they've been on and the play they're going right here. They're they run deep, a very, right? They're, they're very deep, deep very high-tempo game. Trey Young is the second coming in some ways of Steph Curry. That's who he models mm-hmm. his game after. But they're sizable on the inside. They rebound well. They take care of the ball. I, I think they're in this stretch, their first league in takeaways, you know, what they're doing in that aspect has been pretty amazing. Do they win the East? I don't think so. The way the Bucks are starting to gel now with Giannis being able to kind of get that mid-range shooter. He hit three threes last night. You know, in, in years past, they would just pack the lane and mm. try to push him out and, and make him do that. But Build a you know, wall. That, Yeah, and you saw all those easy layups last night because they had to stretch out and meet him out there. And Middleton was just getting the easiest layups in the world during that 18-1 to run right there. So I think they showed me a little bit right there that Milwaukee actually right now is the team to beat. You know, the biggest question mark right now will be Harden coming back for the Nets because it, they've shown they were the worst in the league in defense. When, when Harden came in, he actually elevated that to a mediocre defense, which all you need with that team. Mm-hmm. But they have not played any defense at all. So he is the key to that team if they want to see them go on to win the NBA championship. It's not going to be Durant, who is the best player on the team. But I take my hat off to Harden. I've been on very hard on him in the past. But when he came into that Big three, he took a step back and said, I will be the one to distribute the ball. I will shoot when I need to shoot. But he's the one who's been the most selfless out of those three and has been mm. the biggest part of that team right there. Do the Hawks win? I think they're going to make it industry. I think they're going to take a lot of series very deep to six, seven games. I just don't think they're quite there yet. But they are definitely headed in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. And so, so Nesto, getting back to your question. So we got the Knicks as the four seed. We got the Hawks as the five seed. And then the Heat – and the Celtics are kind of vying between the six and seven spot right now, right? And they're like tied. Yeah. 
Now, next week, the Celtics have two games in a row versus the Heat. And those are going to be crucial to whether or not they're in the seven game, the seven seed playing game, or whether they get the six seed or they can bump up to the five seed. So that's what it's kind of going to come down to. Thank you very much for the clarification. It's funny that we talk about all this, but we don't even mention the seventy sixers because I think all deep down we just know that they're going to screw up somehow. Well, that's what I'm saying, to you Marty. So Marty, if the the Hawks are the five seed and they play the yeah. Knicks in the first round, right, and they beat yeah. the Knicks, and then they have to play the seventy sixers who have, have a choking coach and a choking team, yeah. and the Hawks get hot, the Hawks can take out the Sixers, right? Yeah, yeah. And then boom, there you go. Then you're set up in the conference final against the Nets or the um, the Bucks and. We'll see. Depending, depending what the Bucks have to do, what series they have before that, and how weary they are coming out of that, it, it's it's good. I think the East, this is a, you know situation NBA where the West has always been the most fun to watch, but I think the East is going to be incredible to watch this year. I think it's all going to be good. I really do. Yeah. I mean, because the, because like you said the other day, the Lakers and the Clippers aren't sure things this year. And, you know, we thought the Nets were a sure thing, but, of course, the Nets all come with their baggage and their injuries and their issues. So can they implode on each other? Who knows? So I think yeah. this is um, one of those years where we really don't have a grasp on who the clear-cut champion is going to be. And well, in sports, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the Clippers have trouble. They're, they're, in, they're in a little bit of a trouble right now. Kawhi is going to show up in the playoffs. We know he will, but this is going to really rest on Paul George, PG-13's hands. It's really going to be in his hands if they're going to be successful in the playoffs. We have a redemption year for him. Absolutely. We have one more sport to get to before we get into the meat of our podcast today. And, of course, that is the NHL. Hockey talk. Hockey talk. We're talking it's, hockey. Hockey talk. Hockey talk. We're talking hockey. <laughs> <laughs> so if you need to, uh, you know, take a bathroom break or get something to eat or, you know, step away from the podcast for a minute, this would be the time to do it. Oh, I'm going to be on mute this whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, M Marty, you were uh, planning on taking a nap today, but instead you got wrapped up into a little bit of NHL action. Oh, yeah, I did, because I want to see Wilson get his head ripped off. Yeah, so massive, massive brawl today. Uh, I, I, I mean, you could have put it in your calendar. Everybody knew that's how the first period of this game was going to go. What did you say? It was over 100 minutes of uh, penalties given out in the first period alone? Yeah. Well, in the, in, in the first period and the last game alone, it added up to 100, 100 penalty minutes at that point. Oh, and the last game. Gotcha. Yeah, but they, they brought in the uh, – one of the other directors from the NHL at the first period break, I'm like, should we be worried about this? Should the council be worried about what's going on? He goes, and he's like, I think the I think the refs are handling it well. We're okay. I'm like, how do you how do you get to that point? Okay, so let's give a little context. A couple of days ago, resident scumbag asshole of the planet. It's well documented on this podcast. Uh, our disdain for one Tom Wilson. He severely, well, to be determined how severely, but significantly injured Artemi Panarin, a huge star for the New York Rangers, by slamming his head into the ice and sucker punching him in the back of the head. Absolute scumbag move in the midst of what was actually a huge brawl. Let's keep in mind, this is a team in the New York Rangers that is all but eliminated from playoff contention. Right. They are. They oh, are. they are officially now. Yeah. It, 
this game means nothing. And this guy is just acting like a complete scumbag as per usual. And George Peros is again, Marty, that's the head of player safety. Absolutely. Uh, and can I, can I ask, wasn't he a big fighter in his years as a player? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? He was also noted scumbag uh, himself. He owns a clothing line called the violent gentleman. So that gives you a kind of, and, and when he was hired, you know, this is, uh, who was it? Uh, was it Brendan Shanahan who was the player safety guy before that? You know, it's kind of turned a lot of heads and, and some people were like, okay, maybe this experimental work, it'll be one of those things where this guy really knows the fighters. So he'll, he'll be able to really determine what's actually dirty and what shouldn't receive supplemental discipline. But really, he's just showing that he's a gutless hack that needs to be given the axe because it was his job to prevent what happened today from happening. And he didn't. And so the players were forced to take it upon themselves. Well, and then we have a massive draw, which isn't good for the sport. When Wilson had the hit on the Bruins' Brandon Carlo early in the, earlier in the year on a hit on his head and that caused a concussion – he didn't want to suspend Carlo or punish him at all. And Bettman had to step in and say, listen, Wilson. Um, I, yeah, he didn't want to suspend Wilson. So Bettman, Gary Bettman, the commissioner had to step in and say, uh, no, you have to do something here. And so he ended up getting a seven game suspension. And then in this, this last incident where he pulled Panarin's hair, the next day, the Rangers come out and they put out an official statement from the team stating that they want George Peros fired from his job. They want him removed from his post because he's not doing the job properly. Um, this gets back to uh, Joe Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, who's also the owner of the Rangers. Okay, and so then in the turn, Paris doesn't get fired. The next day, today, Wednesday, now the president of the Rangers and the general manager of the Rangers have both been fired. So that's Dolan distancing himself from the statement that was made about Peros. Uh, essentially, the league must have said, no, we're not fa firing our guy. And in fact, you're going to fire your guys. And so they did. And as I understand it, it mess. was Dolan's message that went out, though. Right. And, and right. they were pretty clear about that. Right. Yeah, it was Dolan's message. And so who are the fall guys, the president and the general manager, hmm. not Dolan? I was listening to a couple of reporters well, today talking about it, and they just said, you know, with all this crap that happened with Wilson and, and putting that out there, you know, it was just the timing was right in their mind to let the chips fall where they may with, you know, a lackluster season for the Rangers. So, but, you know. crap. Bull well, crap. And that's, Bull what crap. You gotta, well, that's what you got to say when Dolan has his hand in anything, you right. know, where he finds it as an opportunity or he's just a snake in the grass, just taking yeah. advantage of a situation. No way. That was too, that's, it just lines up way too perfectly. Right. So tonight. Do you guys uh, want to give a little hats off to Ryan Miller retiring today? One of the best American goalies ever. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give, we'll give Ryan Miller L a little, little shout to, out. A little love to the 40 year old who's uh, calling it quits. Yeah, I wish she'd have quit a little sooner. Uh, <laughs> might not have lost that gold medal game. Ooh, let it go. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, he gave it up to Sidney Crosby, so I'm, you know, fucking myself with one hand and jerking myself off with the other. But uh, I call that a Tuesday. All right. Uh, so everything's pretty much sealed up as far as the playoff picture. In the Central, we have the Hurricanes, the Panthers. They are in the Central. Good for me. And the Tampa Bay Lightning actually coming up third there. Carolina Hurricanes 
leading the entire league. Looks like they're going to run away with the president's trophy this year. The only teams left in contention, the Nashville Predators and your Dallas Stars, Marty, a disparity of four points between them, but the Stars uh, have one game in hand and I believe a couple games left. Enough. It's it's over. They they lost. They had two against Tampa, yeah. which they lost six two tonight, and they have two against Chicago. Okay, it's over though. So that loss tonight seals it. That, goodbye, wah, Dallas. Wah. And then in the East, my Pittsburgh Penguins just on a late surge this season, riding some good goaltending, people getting healthy at the right times, production throughout the lineup, but the first line really carrying the day with Crosby, Gensel, and Rust all having a 20-plus goal season, uh, which I don't believe there's another team in the league this year that has that going for them. The Washington Capitals, two points behind with two games in hand. The Bruins and the New York Islanders rounding out uh, just a point between them. Uh, there's going to be some jockeying here in the last couple days. We've we've had a lot of discussion about this, John, about how Keep we want to thinking I haven't season. figured out. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, really tough. I think I got it. I think I got it. Right? Okay, Do let you me agree hear with it. my Lay last assessment? Lay it on me. So I've come to the conclusion that I think that the Penguins are going to be the one seed, right? So they have two games left. They have 73 points. Okay, but then you got Washington, who has four games left and 71 points. So they're essentially a win behind. So, but the Pittsburgh, the key for Pittsburgh is they have two games left, and those are both both against Buffalo. Buffalo has had a horrible season. I know you said they've been playing better, but they've still Young. been Buffalo, and I'm sure that they're just as cool to cash out of the season. Regardless, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna count those last two Pittsburgh games as a win against Buffalo. Okay. At, at bare minimum, they're going to win one of them, and I think that should seal the deal. So even if Pittsburgh if Pittsburgh wins those last two, they finish with 77 points, and Washington would have to go 3-1 and one just to tie, and they if they tie with Pittsburgh, uh, they, they lose the tiebreak. The tiebreak is uh, wins, and so if they tie in points, that goes to the tiebreaker wins. They don't they don't right. go there. So Washington essentially has to go four and zero, which has been pretty hard because they they have another game against the Bruins and the game against the Islanders. So it's going to be tough for them to go four and zero. So I am anointing Pittsburgh as the one seed. I like and it. On the flip side, it's the sim- kind of a similar deal with the Islanders. The Islanders only have three games left, and they're in fourth place with 68 points. And they have some tough match, a couple tough matchups left, one against the Bruins. So I see the Islanders not as rock solid as the Penguins at one, but I see the Islanders finish with the four seed. Okay, and then in the middle there, I'm not sure who's going to be two or three right now. Washington's got 71, Bruins have 69, and they both have four games left. Uh, Washington will likely get the two seed. Bruins likely get the three seed, but they'll play each other in round one. So I got Pittsburgh Isles, Washington against the Bruins. Uh, Not what I was hoping for. I don't know about you, Ernesto. That is what I was hoping for. I think that the Bruins match up really well against the Penguins. For some reason, Rask just has our number. I don't need to bring 2013 into it again. Uh, you know, I have PTSD from that. Eight so years ago. That's some scarring. It is very, very deep. It is very deep. And although the Islanders do play that 
shutdown style. We've beat Barry Trotz teams uh, in big moments several times before. I'm convinced we can do it again. And also, I think that they're going to try and slow it down, but I don't think they'll be able to keep up with our scoring. So if we can keep the pucks going in the nets, we'll have a better chance against the Islanders than I think we would against the Bruins. My hope is that uh, Tom Wilson just breaks the ACLs, kneecaps, and skulls of every member of the Boston Bruins, gets suspended from the league for life, and is no longer uh, on the ice by the time the Capitals limp into the second round. Yeah, I hear that. It could be tough. As much as... I don't want to play Washington. I just feel like Washington has been a team that's had the Bruins number over the years. And although their defense isn't as good this year and their goaltending, it's not Holtby anymore. And so their goaltending has been softer. It's still not a team that I want to see. And I know the Penguins and Bruins are three and three against each other this year, but I just feel like the Penguins have been a better matchup for the Bruins. And so I kind of would rather see the Bruins or the Islanders, to be honest with you. And the Penguins, the Penguins or the Islanders, not the Capitals. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, But the bigger issue, I think, is something we talked about the other day, is that Vancouver Canucks had a COVID situation, and so the North has more games to play in the regular season. So are the playoffs going to begin in America while the Canadian teams are still finishing their regular season? And John, how is that going to work? What the fuck are we doing here? The Vancouver Canucks have 41 points. They have 47 games played. The next lowest in their division is 50 games. And with those 50 games, the Calgary Flames have 47 points. Yeah. Okay. What are we doing? Right. I they're agree. In, so they're in, fifth, they're in fifth place. The Winnipeg Jets and the Canadians already have 57 points each. They are unreachable. Let's just fucking cancel the Canucks season right. and move on. So if we're going to be forced to wait for the Canadian teams to finish out their regular season before America starts their playoff games, then that's a shame because we've seen what even like a week's worth of rests can do to a team that's found their mojo. And I know the Penguins have been a really hot team and for not quite as long, but the Bruins have been playing really well lately too. So I don't want to see either of our teams get a week off to get stale. Like that is not ideal at this point. We kind of just want to get a day or two and kind of roll into the playoffs. That's what hockey players do. It's how that's how the schedule goes. You, you get a day or two off and you keep on playing. Once you take a week off, it takes that happened to the Bruins a couple of years ago when they swept the, the hurricanes in the championship round and then they advanced to the Stanley cup and they were waiting on the blues and they had to wait a week. And then by the time game one rolled around, they Martian had got an injury to his thumb and same with Pasternak because they played scrimmages against each other and they hurt each other. The teams don't know what to do when they're given all this extra time. So it's not ideal. And I think the NHL has really handled this poorly. Like Ernesto said, it's Vancouver. It doesn't matter. Let's just say season over. It didn't happen, didn't work out, but we're lucky the season made it as far as it did and we're ready to roll. Vancouver, we don't need them for the playoffs, so let's go. It's not like they're one or two points out with four games right. in hand. Exactly. You know, it's like exactly. they are way behind. It's over. And yeah. so here's what I've heard on the flip side. So then we don't need, once the playoffs get rolling in America and Canada, we don't need to deal with Canada again until we get to the final four because it's the four winners of each division that meet in the final four this year, right? Right. 
And then once there, there will be one Canadian team that emerges, whether that's Toronto or Edmonton or whoever, there'll be one team. They can't Canada, play in Canada. They can't play in Canada, so they will be moved, whether that's to Buffalo or has who knows where. Buffalo. It has, has to be Buffalo, right. They're going to be moved, and that'll be their new location to go for a Stanley Cup. Now, that sucks for them, but... I mean, I don't know what else to do at this point. But so I'm that sure sounds Toronto, like it's the play. I'm sure Toronto will be very happy to play in Buffalo, and I'm sure a ton yeah, of uh, I'm sure a ton of people from Ontario will be happy. Uh, I don't know if they're called Ontarioans or <laughs> the Ontarioese uh, will be very happy to travel across the border uh, and heading to New York. Can they? Can yeah, they can. Then they, they can't can, go back. Yeah. They can go back, but they have to quarantine for, yeah. you know, oh, however commitment. many days. <laughs> that's a commitment. Well, to see the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs in, in again. the... <laughs> once they face, in the, once they face the real competition. It, can we call it the Eastern Conference Finals? Like, I'm, I'm also curious to see how they wind up giving out those conference championship awards given the realignments here it's going to be very interesting to and see so it'd be fun to know. see the edmonton oilers win the prince of wales trophy you know i'm confused so but we don't know who's playing who in the final four right how is oh, that because they're going to reseed it right it, i think and so we're still like we don't know so if bruins or penguins are in the east we don't know that we're playing the central we don't know that we're playing the north we don't know who we're playing right it just it'll depend i kind of love it i kind of love it it's it's an interesting time to be alive here in the nhl let's it finish out with the west uh we have the vegas golden knights coming in at first with 74 points colorado avalanche with 72 minnesota wild with 70 and then we have the Blues and the Coyotes with 55 and 50 points. This is a race uh, just to see who's going to get blown the fuck out in the first round. Almost useless. Jordan Bennington wound up being such a bust, as many young hot goalies do, a la Matt Murray. So, but I really like the uh, Colorado team, as do many. Oh, yeah. The Colorado is so sick. Outside of my own team and the Vegas Golden Knights, which is my girlfriend team, I would love to see the Colorado Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon finally kind of get his due. Miko Rantanen is such an underrated player just because he plays in the shadow. Oh, uh, sorry, not to distract you, but we need to talk about that the rookie guy too, Montreal Canadiens. Oh, Cole, Cole Caulfield? Yes, him. He is... Unbelievable. Kind of the same way, you know, Kale McCarr hit the scene. Uh, one of those guys who who finishes up college and then comes over afterwards when, when the cap situation allows for it and goes from eating in a cafeteria in some fucking university somewhere to, uh, to playing in the show the next day. It's unbelievable. He's a tiny little guy, 5'7", 165. You don't need size in this league anymore. All you need he is said- speed and hands. He said he models his game after the Blackhawks to Brinsett. Alex to Brinkett? To Brinkett, yeah. Wow. That is oddly specific. Yeah, he says he, that's that's the guy he he looks to. It's so funny you know how these pros, these young guys, what they latch on to and, and what they're able to do. Looking over at the leaders, obviously 
Connor McDavid leading the pack with 93 points. His line mate, Leon Dreisaitl, the second behind him with 75 points. He is unbelievable. I don't think there is anybody in any sport that is as good at their sport as Connor McDavid is at hockey right now. You see Wayne Gretzky, you see Mario Lemieux, you see Sidney Crosby, you see these guys that every time they're on the television, you're like, I need to soak in every second of this because I'm watching history being made. I'm watching uh, one of the greatest to ever do it, and it, it's just a pleasure to to. I mean, his creativity, his vision, his speed, his strength, everything. I, I the the man does not have a single flaw in his game that I can find. Go Oilers! <laughs> but they're probably going to get blown out by the Leafs in the second round. So. No, the Leafs <laughs> will lose, man. Leafs are going to lose in the conference final round. I mean, at minimum. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose to the Canadians in the first round with the (laughs) the young guy. The young guy already beat him in the OT winner the other day. Why do I keep Cole Caulfield? What is his name? I keep forgetting his name. Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield, yeah. Austin Matthews is leading the uh, Rocket Richard uh, with another sizable lead, actually on Connor himself with... 39 to 31 points and oh fuck i practiced this before nedel nedel nedelkovich there you we need, go you Jesus need any help with this i'm really good at this <laughs> <laughs> it's no surprise here with the success that they've had the presumptive president's trophy winners the carolina hurricanes their goalie alex nedelkovich with the Goals against average and save percentage lead 189 and 932, respectively. And Tampa Bay's Andre Vasilevsky pulling it up in the win category. So that is hockey. Anything else we want to add, John? Vasilevsky, this Vasilevsky guy. I was looking the other day because I usually use Yahoo for my app, but they've been funky with the hockey lately and it's just been getting deleted out of there. So I went to the score app and it's interesting. And I like that they give you the goalies and their records when you're looking at hockey games. Freaking Vasilevsky. Does he play every single game? Is he, he taking that off? It's, he was 38 and something. And I'm like, they've only, they're not even, they're playing 56 games this year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, he has, he has 31. So that's, Right, oh, 38 and 4, I think, was his oh, record going into that's the right. game. So that's like 43 games, and they still have four more games. So he was on pace to play like 47 of the 56 games. That's insane. You look at the rest of the goaltenders, they play half, maybe yeah. a little more than half. Well, a lot of people are doing the 1A, 1B, you know, that's that works. But some some people really thrive on action. He's the Shohei Otani of <laughs> the yes, NHL. Yeah, let me play. Let me play. <laughs> All right. And a, a shout out to my boy, Marc-Andre Fleury, with a late resurgence in his career. I'm so happy that he is doing well. You know, he's in the leaderboards here. Fourth in goals against. Fifth in save percentage. Fourth in wins. Good for him. Good for him. Moving on to football. Alrighty, kids. Uh, so first stop on our NFL adventure today is acknowledging the retirement of one Julian Edelman, Patriots legend. What was it, about a month ago? He, uh, close he close to that. Uh, it was funny. Tom Brady and him were on this like celebrity Zoom call that was broadcast. And Tom said, you know, Jules, 
Jules is going to be uh, coming to Tampa Bay. He just, uh, you know, didn't want to tell Bill himself. <laughs> he's like, I don't blame him. And then Julian Edelman responded on Twitter by saying, no, no, no. It's, I mean, Tom's pretty famous for fucking with Julian Edelman in social media ways. So uh, Edelman came out and said, no, that's Patriot for life. We're going to call it there. Yeah, Tampa Bay doesn't have any room on the receiver roster for him either. Anyway. Johnny, thoughts on uh, the career of Julian Edelman and his retirement? I think he's a Hall of Famer. And oh, jeez. Yeah, you I know. to start I, like I that. No, you're gonna I start am going to start throwing like that. You punches? Know why? Well, here, yeah, because let me you let told me ask... us You told us to get straight to the point, Nestor. Oh, my God. Well, let me, you look at the dynasties, right? Okay, we go back to the Cowboys way back when, we go back to the 70s Steelers, the 80s 49ers, the 90s Cowboys. They all have at least eight players from their dynasties, and those are teams that won four championships. This Patriots team has won six championships, and the only player that they have in the Hall of Fame right now is Ty Law, and the only player that they're going to foreseeably get is maybe tom brady and gronkowski other than maybe that, tom brady shut the fuck no up. well yes tom brady but <laughs> and gronkowski maybe also gronkowski. shut the fuck up gronkowski. about that. that okay well there's three there's three no there's more who 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 right so Teddy. is tom tom brady just that good that they can't he will have played with two hall of famers and won six rings because he's literally god or Vin do they not deserve more Hall of Famers? Vinatieri. Vinatieri will be one. Oh, come on. He played for, he got three rings, and Gustowski got the other three. So he's mostly a Colt now. He played more than half his career as a Colt. I bet uh, he Richard, won't Richard I bet Seymour he... <laughs> is a maybe. Richard Seymour could potentially get in. But still, that that's only four. Um, so anyway, you look at Edelman's numbers. Eh, maybe. I would say yes, but I'm biased. Then... You look at Edelman. Edelman's numbers don't go, don't rank up with some of the elites. But then again, neither did, neither did Lynn Swans. When you look at him, I mean, his numbers were not as good, or maybe just as good as Mark Duper, who didn't get in. So there's a number of players who got boosted by dynasties, and I think Edelman's a player who should get boosted by being part of the dynasty. And his playoff numbers, which are insane are second only to Jerry Rice in receiving yards and receiving catches and three championships. So I think Edelman, I think Edelman gets in on that, just being affiliated with it. Yeah, I just think the Patriots dynasty needs to have more Hall of Famers. It does. Edelman that, only has three rings though. He does. I mean the only player that has six. Why not player that has six? He doesn't have any rings. And he only played from 2007 to 2011 with the Patriots. He only played. Oh, he didn't have any rings. No, he, he, no, he he's just responsible. The for the, he's responsible for them <laughs> losing. He, no, Troy Brown was the slot guy before Wes Welker, but the b- slot position took off with Wes Welker. But he's responsible for them losing the 2011 Super Bowl by dropping the pass that would have sealed the game. So Wes Welker kind of has a bad name in New England, and that part partially Bill's fault, and. Uh, then Wally Edelman Wally pipped him and took his job because he was cheaper. But yeah, no, I think Edelman's a Hall of Famer. The numbers don't say Hall of Famer, but then again, 
it's not based on numbers. We look at some players and you look at their numbers and you're like, oh, he's a Hall, surefire Hall of Famer. And if you just look at some of the dynasties, there's players on these dynasties that would not be Hall of Famers if they weren't affiliated with dynasties. So football is not just a strictly numbers game like baseball. It's different. And I think you look at the impact that Edelman had, he had a huge impact on the Patriots dynasty, especially the second half of the dynasty. So that was so better than Phillip, the first. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? I mean, 17 years starting in the NFL. Uh, he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. His number. I agree with you on that, but he'll probably yeah. be a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer. It's just that's the way it is. Hall of Very Good. I, right. All right, moving on. Wait, hey, uh, set the tone, man. <laughs> Lynn, Lynn, uh, Lynn Swan's a Hall of Famer, so come on. <laughs> they went a little too hard in the beginning. They right. haven't, they haven't corrected. So um, I don't know that Edelman makes the Hall of Fame. I don't know that he makes it, but I think he he'll should. be one of those late guys. He'll be he'll be one of those guys that makes it 15, 20 years later. Maybe two years after he's dead. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, they, they do that. They do that too, as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> not saying he deserves. I'm not trying to wish death upon Edelman. Like. My God, Marty. I know the Cowboys had a bad draft, but like, take it easy, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, he was at Churchill Downs this past weekend for the most exciting two minutes in sports. And also there was Tom Brady looking like the villain from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Looking fantastic in that fucking hat and glasses. Yeah, Rogers had a funky hat on, too. Oh, dude. Rogers, I saw a funny meme. It was like, Rogers looks like he was here to arrest Tom Brady uh, in, in, you know, in like one of those film noir movies. He Um, was hanging out with Miles Teller and his his new chick, Shailene Woodley. Yeah. I used to like her. She seems like she's a handful now. (laughs) So you don't like anything associated with Aaron Rodgers. And so let's get into it. We've been battling all day on the phone. (laughs) And by battling, I mean... I've been looking at my phone as you frantically text fact and stat and quote after quote at me while I have no ability to uh, respond because the day is just so full. So let's have it out. Aaron Rodgers, to give a little context to the listeners, has been linked by Adam Schefter to some... He dropped a bomb on draft day morning. He did not. Adam Schefter's tweet said, per team and league sources... But okay. why would the team do that? Just tell because me why. they want to make him look bad. But why don't you tell our listeners what <laughs> he said before we start arguing about it? <laughs> Reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. League and team sources told ESPN on Thursday. League and team sources. Okay, so everything about this is a PR attack on Aaron Rodgers trying to further damage his credibility because he already has this aura of some, like, asshole pretty boy thinks highly of himself, doesn't give a shit about anybody else, and they're trying to play on that and get the Green Bay fans to turn against him so that they don't remember all the slights that front office management has done against Aaron Rodgers. Things like moving up in the draft last year to take Jordan Love 26 overall, even though 
they they already got their guy. They already have a, a quarterback who is capable of winning league MVPs, capable of throwing 40-something touchdowns. 48, 48 touchdowns. How many interceptions? Four? Why do you think he did that? Because he fe- his career was on the decline. Just like the Patriots when they drafted Jimmy oh, G in, career, in 2014. His, his career was on Tom the Brady decline. on notice. His going career to, was on the decline. And going his number to NFC Championships so what you do, is, is on the decline. A responsible team, what they do is they put in a succession plan. Once you realize your quarterback is older and if he seems to be on the decline, which Brady appeared to be on the decline in 2014, Rodgers appeared to be on the decline, you bring someone in. In Brady's case, it was Jimmy Garoppolo, and it lit a fire under Brady. It pissed him off, and it did the same exact thing to Rodgers when they brought in Jordan Love and they traded up for him. And and, and then so they got an MVP season. He threw 48 touchdowns. It lit a spark under Rodgers' his play, and so it worked out really well. It's responsible organizations do this, by the way. The 49ers did this with Joe Montana and Steve Young. The Packers did it before with Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, now going to Jordan Love. The, the organizations that are irresponsible don't do this. And the Patriots really screwed it up by trading away Jimmy G and not having a plan for when Brady left. And you look at, like, the Steelers. What are they going to do when Big Ben goes? They don't have a plan yet. The Cowboys for years were looking for a quarterback. The Dolphins with Dan Marino for years looking for a quarterback. The Bills took them forever to find someone to replace Jim Kelly. So it's only smart for an organization to find a team's replacement. And if it gives the starting quarterback a kick in the ass, well, that's an added boost that you get out of it. Johnny, can you look me in the eyes and tell me that Jordan Love is the guy? I, I don't know that, but it's the responsible thing for the organization to do to have. A, do you think it's not responsible to have a succession plan? I think the responsible thing would have been to communicate this. I, to, absolutely. I to agree Baron. with you 100%. And that's, that's really, 100%. That's really I agree the with thing. You. That is the crux of the issue. But guess what? You need to get over it. And Mr. Passive Aggressive Aaron Rodgers and thinks he's Mr. Everything and I'm Superman and I, you don't even need to design plays because I'm Superman and someone just go and get open and I'll draw a play on my hand and we're not even going to run an offense. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't work out well. And so when you actually get a coach and a quarterback and they're working together and they have a plan on the field, you see what it's done. It's gotten them to two straight NFC championship games. It's gotten Rodgers an MVP. So he needs to look around and say, actually, things are pretty good here. And if he wants to go to, say, Denver or the Raiders or wherever, guess what? You're going to a team that's not nearly as good. And then he complains about weapons. You've had Devontae Adams. You've had Jordy Nelson. You've had Greg Jennings. They Michael let Fitt, Jordy Nelson Randall go. Club. They but let they had Jordy him Nelson forever. Go. They had him forever until he was washed. Again, until he, was, another he had nothing one of those left things to offer. They didn't, they didn't communicate this to him. And then there's this this Jake uh, Kumaro. Yeah, I, I, I know. I've heard this story. And I'm like, really? Jake Kumaro is the sticking Jake Kumaro. Really? That's the sticking it's point? It's one more thing. Because that's a it's petty one little thing. thing. It's okay, one well, more thing, though, where he you're, says so you're saying I like that they were cunty, cunty to him. An organization that fired the coach that Aaron they didn't Aaron Rodgers didn't want him around. They fired McCarthy because Rodgers didn't want him gone, and then they followed that up in 2018 by giving him a four-year, 140 million dollar contract with 78 million due upon contract signing. 78 million. That's cunty. I want someone to be cunty towards me, and then they go <laughs> seriously, especially at age 36. But they did that for him. And so you're saying that the team put this out, that he's unhappy. 
But yet, the 49ers put out a trade offer. As soon as they heard that Rodgers was available, they offered the number three pick and Jimmy Garoppolo, and the Packers immediately shot that down. They've negated all trade offers. So what is the team's end game by putting out bad PR against their quarterback? Because now they're backtracking. It doesn't make sense because they the team doesn't want to trade him. I, here's what I think the Packers' plan was. I think the Packers' plan was they decided we're going to draft Jordan Love last year and they were going to have him sit for two years because if you look at those contract details, the dead cap money doesn't come way down. Like right now, the dead cap money is $40 million if they cut or trade Aaron Rodgers. And that is a huge portion of the salary cap hit that they're going to have to take if they trade him. So they really can't trade him right now unless they just want to be like screwed financially this year. So, But I think the plan was to see what happens with Rodgers for the two years uh, 2020, 2021, and have Jordan Love ready for 2022, and then go from there, whether it's trade Aaron Rodgers then, release him then, figure something out then, and then go to Jordan Love. I think that that was the succession plan. And maybe Rodgers kind of got a whiff of that, that that might be in the off in the an option. But the Packers have then stated in the re- recent days this past weekend, they said they wanted they were offering him a contract extension, more guaranteed money, and he said no. Uh, they've said that they're not trading him anywhere. So I don't understand what their end game is if they're they're trying to piss off their quarterback. And then the coach, the freaking coach, the floor comes out and he says, um, I think Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback who ever lived. And he said, I don't care about Super Bowls. The head coach of the team said, I don't care yeah, about that was Super Bowls. A bad luck I, I don't care about <laughs> Super Bowls. <laughs> Why? It's only the reason you play, but okay. So I, to uh, me, I just don't understand what the beef is, why the team is trying to make Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, look bad when they are tied to him this year, no matter what. I think they're trying to turn public perception against him. But he makes it so easy, which is which is just like, if the shoe fits, if it, if it acts like a fuck, talks like a fuck, then it's a fuck, which is Rodgers in a lot of ways. <laughs> because this goes back to even like McCarthy and running him out of town and he's not being held on to the system. McCarthy he's held sucks. on to this. Yeah, yeah, but he's, fucking Rogers sucks. held on to this since the NFC Championship game. Rogers held on to this, yeah. and he chose this specific moment to drop the bomb that morning, so that it would kind of throw, it would put the Packers like in flames. Oh my God, what are we gonna do? And and it, what does it, you that know, do for what does that do for him if he actually wants out of there? It makes no sense. Trying to force a trade. Trying to force that trade. It makes no sense to drop that bomb the day of. Why? Why not do this a couple days ahead of time? Like that. That's when you can get something done. You don't get Aaron Rodgers done in a couple hours before the fucking draft when everything's fucking going on. It we makes no that. sense. It makes no sense for him to put that out there on himself. But he won't. When, right when you look at Shefty's article that he put out, it's coming from the team's perspective. It's it's all saying the Packers are aware of his feelings, concerned it. about them, and have the team president Mark Murphy, general manager Brian Gutekunst, and head coach Matt Lafleur each fly out on separate trips. They want to, they're they're coming from the perspective of, hey, listen, we did everything we could. We tried to throw money at him. We visited him several times. So Ernesto, it's piss him off and then, then let's backtrack and try to rectify it. That's the plan on draft weekend. It's let's throw this out on draft morning, piss off our star quarterback, and then the default coming days while we're still drafting, having to try to rectify it. I mean, what sense does that make? Makes no sense. Why would a team do that? And then and then to tweet out to your 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 GM or text him out to say, like, you're the Jerry Krause 
of football, you want to take your number one player and blow up the team all around him. A, they haven't blown up the team all around him, and he just like side noted that he is the Michael Jordan of football, right? Right, like, I got that Jerry too. Crap. I want. I and said I that too. Like, I said, oh, you whoa, think pretty buddy. highly of yourself too, huh, yeah, Mister? Like, you don't have six rings. Right. And the only thing the team got mad at with Krause during that time was trading away Horace Grant, who was one of their best, you know, wing players at the time that which pissed Scotty off. Scotty Pippen off didn't want to play. But even Jordan that time says, hey, we're here to win championships. You better fucking play with me. Yeah. Where Roger where Rogers just kind of plays the game. He just adds fuel to the fire. And I know both sides have to take accountability. To this. They both handled it like poorly. And I don't know how this ends up. Um, but it's not going to end up in a, in a winning season as far as like winning the Super Bowl, NFC East, I mean, NFC Championship for the Packers. I mean, this is an organization too with Brett Favre and, you know, Rodgers over the past 30 years. It's only brought two rings to the organization. Mm. So something's got to give. And let's something's go back to the give. NFC Championship game just for a second. In the fourth quarter, Aaron Rodgers got the ball in his hands with a chance to take the lead three different times and I thought he was going to do it each one of those times and then right before the field goal was kicked Aaron Rodgers made was the one making the bad reads down by the goal line and then he had a chance to run it in for a touchdown and he didn't so look you before you go blaming everyone else which is exactly what Rodgers does and he doesn't blame them directly he's Mr. Passive Aggressive and he lets it fester and this is what teammates have said former teammates and not just bum former teammates guys like Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings have called Rodgers out for being this way he says he let let something bother him and he holds it in he holds it in he holds it in and he doesn't address it directly he doesn't communicate directly he put lets it lights a fire and lets it kind of come out in a bomb somewhere else that's just the way that he's always handled things and he handles things poorly and i don't know what his end game is here is he going to retire if he retires he's going to owe the packers some money some bonus money back uh, is he going to host jeopardy great i hope he ruins the show because <laughs> <laughs> he probably will and, I don't know. He's oh, pretty I, fucking good. I, I know you won't watch it because you hate anything associated with Aaron Rodgers. Not because of anything that he's done, but because of the narratives over the years that it was Aaron versus Tom Brady. And you thought that was a major affront to Tom Brady because Aaron can't even sniff his jockstrap in your mind. So, in anyone's mind. And anyone who yes. looks seven to one. I mean, give me a break. Take, uh, it's, and this, like this article says, the, like, and all the former players say. He's got, he's got one more than Dan had, Marino. Packers should have had a dynasty. They should have. They had the players, they had the records, and they failed in the most crucial moments time and time again. So this is what Brady does. Brady shuts his mouth and he does the work. Rodgers complains about everyone else. That's what. That's the difference. Marino Brady never. Marino never stomped his feet and got people fired in the organization either. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. He is a petty dude. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Greatness is measured in more than championships. <laughs> what? I thought that's how great this is measured. I love that comment, though. That's a good one. <laughs> why well, do we play the game? Something more than championships. Are you trying? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So why does I mean, he? Yeah. Head, why does he get along with his head coach then? Because he doesn't believe in championships either. Right. So they exactly. Should be, yeah. be like should, perfect. Should be perfect. Mike McCarthy's a fucking joke. You're you're in the I'm midst not, of I'm that not, right now. Well, I, I actually felt I'm bad living. for him. I felt, I felt bad, bad for McCarthy, for too, because he was just shoved out of the situation. That whole last season, it was like calling the play, and Aaron played an audible almost. I think there's, yep. like their stat was like 62% of the time of play calls, he audibled out of that. 
And he would he wait, wait, that. wait, wait until someone would get open. He was trying to hit a home run on every single play, just sabotaging the offense. You can't play football that way. You look at Tom Brady. He takes what's given to him on the field. Rodgers wants to hit the highlight home run play every single time. And get, right. does he make amazing plays? Absolutely. He makes tremendous throws, tremendous plays. But he he doesn't want to take what's given to him down the field. And that's where his flaw is. Right. All right. Well, we got to get into the draft or we will be here forever. <laughs> We're going to be here forever anyway. So let's get started. Things got going just the way we thought they would with Trevor Lawrence of Clemson going first overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ho-hum. Why the fuck did they need to take 10 minutes to make their pick when everybody knew a month and a half ago, two months ago, three months ago, what was happening? Uh, but I heard a, a good take on it. It was like, hey, listen, this is our time to shine. This is when all the eyes are on on the TVs. Everybody's watching the first couple picks. Take your time with these things. Like, you know, they're playing. They're talking about your team. They're playing the highlights. There's no reason to rush this thing. You want to let it <laughs> marinate. You're getting free press. Most you know? coverage Jaguars had in three years that first mm. pick. <laughs> Watching Shad okay. Khan, the owner in the in the war room, acting like he's doing something. He's got a nice fucking mustache. Oh, that thing's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had the New York Jets uh, <laughs> taking Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, second overall. Again, something we knew for weeks ahead of time. It's amazing that Justin Fields fell out of that second spot because he had held that for, what, a year? I mean, going back to high school, it was Lawrence and Fields one and two. All the way to, yeah. So, yeah, for a long, long time. But it's the Jets. The Jets doing what the Jets do best. So we'll see how that works out. And then uh, we finally got a little bit of action. This is what everybody was waiting to see. This was the actual beginning of the draft. The San Francisco 49ers uh, with the pick they had traded with Miami, taking Trey Lance, Johnny cashing in big. And uh, this would be a good time to note that Johnny had himself a hell of a draft day. Yeah, this was something, I mean, I did all the research and watched all the shows and it really paid off in a big way, and my only regret is I didn't go heavier on it. I, you know, I think I only put like 150 or so dollars in. Um, next year, I'll know to go heavier. I, it just, especially the top. I think I got the top 11 right, and, and it was just the top players of the top players, and it kind of just went that way, and everything fell into place, and it worked out well. It was a good night. It was crazy. We were texting back and forth, and talking about how things were unfolding and there were a couple surprises here and there, but each time you're, I was like, okay, Johnny, who's next? And then you texted in. Boom. It was getting stressful at the end there. I'm like, Oh man, (laughs) I don't know anymore. I'm starting to lose steam here. Kept going. And the freaking Cowboys are the team that ruined it with the, we'll get we'll get there in a second we'll get there we'll get there okay so going back to the niners at number three okay in in hindsight in retrospect looking back 
And I wonder if the fans of the 49ers had anything to do with this. Because you look back, and you don't trade three first-round picks to take a guy like Mac Jones. Is he going to be solid? Probably. Is he going to be great? Probably not. And I know the fans, when they got they sniffed out that they thought it was going to be Mac Jones, they were furious. And the 49ers are, are, a, are a team that over the years does react to some fan pressure. So I wonder if that had anything to do with it. But if you're going to make put all that draft capital into moving up and to taking a guy third overall, I think it had to be the upside guy in Trey Lance. But then the question becomes, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, okay, and you're not trading him. And on the side note, I find, I find out today that the Patriots had a deal with the Niners for Jimmy Garoppolo, but Jimmy Garoppolo nixed it because Belichick wanted Garoppolo to take a pay cut from $25 million to $16 million. And classic. Garoppolo, classic, right? And Garoppolo said, no, I'm going to stick with the 49ers, make $25 million this year, play, and then hopefully be with the top quarterback on the free agent market next year. And... Is it a bad move? I, I don't know. He could have been the quarterback of the Patriots. This was before the draft, by the way. And he could have gotten himself a deal there, but I'm sure Belichick would have tried to, tried to screw him another way on the con, you know on the contract. So I don't so, know. Yes. Just interesting that there could have been a deal. But going back to it, I just I got to ask you guys. Trey Lance has got to play football games. Yeah. He can't keep sitting. He yeah. has like 350 passes in his collegiate career he's the first quarterback since mark sanchez to be drafted with less than 400 passes he's just got to play he's the first to possibly second progression quarterback and he tucks and runs and yeah. watching the combine he can't hit the slant he doesn't have the arm power and he doesn't have the ability to step in and make that throw this kid is going to suffer and i know they're playing they the do long, a lot of bootlegs in Shanahan's right. system. So a lot of bootleg pass back type things. Action. Right. I know they're playing the long game, you know, with this because this is, you know, Garoppolo who has missed a ton of games in the past three seasons. But when he's in, he has value. He, I think he's like 23 and 8 yeah. last three seasons. But Lance has sit- to play. He has to play. So he can't gonna- keep sitting. Right. So the only way he's going to get better is by playing. So are you just going to accept a wash this season in that division and let this kid just kind of take his licks? They've already come out and said that however long it takes, they're going to wait to play him until uh, I mean, he's ready. I, just think I that's agree. Stupid. If this kid has got to play. The only way you're going to get better is NFL action, and there's only three preseason games next year. I mean, I don't know how much real action you're going to get from that. Maybe a little bit, but not enough. I you got to start playing real games that matter. He's coming from North Dakota, freaking state. Like I know you don't want to throw him to the wolves right away, but at some point the kid's got to play. If he sits in the whole entire another season, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid Maybe. it's going to get away from him, man. What's going to happen if you don't play him? You put Garoppolo in, and he's out by week six, like history says, you know. And then this kid's got to come in and take every beating in the world. And it it's to just him. a mess. Experienced. I think this is a mess that they've put together for themselves. I don't understand it. They were a very close second to being the worst draft in that pick right there. It it just kind of blew my mind. I I thought his stock was going to fall in the combine, and he just kept moving up and moving up. And and he's got a great foundation, but he's not going to be a Lamar. He's not going to be a Patrick Mahomes. I don't even think this kid's going to be a starter in five years. I'm sorry. And I really they don't. gave up all this capital to move yep. up to get him. So they don't have a first round pick next year or the year yep. after. 
So they have a lot riding on this kid, and they can't let him not like I like I said. I'm gonna say it over and over again. He needs to play football games. He's, well, he, he it's has not, to play. It's not just us three Yahoo screaming that. Every every show I've watched in the past week are screaming that same thing as well. So pressure's on Shanahan to make that move right there and make, make sure they do it the right way. Moving on to pick number four, we had the Atlanta Falcons picking Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. What we had all agreed and along with the rest of the world would be the first non-quarterback taken in this draft uh with this pick the falcons kind of show their hand that they'll be keeping julio and matt ryan for the season at least till the trade deadline and try and make it work with what they got had they gone quarterback then you see a path for julio to leave bring in some young talent get some more draft picks send Matty Ice packing, but apparently they're going to continue another year with the experiment and see what they can get done. But Kyle Pitts should be a generational talent at tight end. Matt Ryan is a sneaky long shot MVP pick. If you want to prickle some money on that, I mean, look at the, the weapons he's has now with if Julio and Calvin Ridley, another year older and Kyle Pitts, I mean, their offense is stacked. Just throw that out there. Huh. At number five, we have the Cincinnati Bengals making what was for me the first real surprise of the draft, taking Jamar Chase trying to reunite LSU buddies. Joe Burrow with his Wooby Jamar Chase. Did they know that Panay Sewell was still on the board? Did yes. they not see the four inch they- long scar on Joe Burrow's knee? I mean, that was the big debate, Sewell or, or Chase. And I heard that Burrow wanted Chase and that one. Oh, weird. It's it's so funny how when you like when a team commits to a quarterback, they sort of do, you know, the things that'll make the, the keep the quarterback happy and engage. But maybe not keep, the smart thing. That's not the smart, smart thing. thing. Right? Keep right, his that's friends around. Well, keep his friends around, but not do things to win games. Poking the bear, Nesto. Yeah. Poking the bear. Uh, they should, if they want to win some games, they should start with building an indoor practice facility. That might help. <laughs> I'm not excited to have a weapon like Jamar Chase in my division. I will say that. Okay, and next up, we have the Miami Dolphins with their pick from Philadelphia taking Jalen Waddell. Union to a win Waddle. Exactly. This draft was full of uh, reunions, you know, more than I can really remember in in previous drafts. It seemed like maybe in this COVID year where the combine didn't really happen and where everything was on pro days and there was limited medical availability to get guys in for physicals and this and that. Maybe they were really relying a lot on talent they had in-house saying, I really want to play with this guy. Maybe that had more bearing uh, than it has in other years. Potentially. Not too sure. I mean, I still think that's a pretty good pick. This guy has Tyreek Tyreek heel capabilities, and he he can kill you in every direction on that field. So. I think you get an instant returner on the field with him as well. He he's going to attack. He's a good pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dolphins did a really good job loading up. I think they did a good job in this draft. So, yeah, I'm not sure about the quarterback situation, but the weapons are good. And then at seven, we had the Detroit Lions taking Panay Sewell, which was the presumptive first 
offensive lineman to be taken in this draft. I really thought he was going to go to the Bengals. Anyways, number eight, we had Carolina Panthers beginning a chain of events that wound up being just a giant fuck you to the Dallas Cowboys who (laughs) they did the math on this draft and they're like, Hey man, we're either going to get JC Horn or Patrick Satane. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. One of them's going to come to us and that'll be great. And that'll be our first pick. And then uh, the Panthers don't take a quarterback. Can we talk about the fact that Justin Fields is still on this fucking board and the Carolina Panthers don't take him? Here's my thing, though. I think it's a very calculated risk right here with Matt Rule as a head coach there to say, all right, Sam Darnold's out of the clutches of Adam Gacy's fucking inept hands. He's got great skill set. We don't know what we have in Fields. We don't know what we have in Jones. I'll take that calculated risk right there. Yeah, Sam Darnold's still 23. Right. And I, he's a great quarterback in my mind. And not only, you got to figure that, you know, Carolina Panthers had Robbie Anderson coming along in that package and playing who had a great season with Darnold last year as well. So I think this was a great calculated move by the Carolina Panthers for sure. And that offensive coordinator sniffed out. Uh, so Joe Brady was the LSU offensive coordinator with Burrow. And Jamar Chase in the year they won the national championship. And he yeah. knew about Terrence Marshall. And so the Panthers were able to snag Marshall late in the second round. So they're going to have Marshall, who fell because of you know injury concerns. But if anyone knows him, you would think that Brady, Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, would know him and he, if he's going to be good to play. So if they can pair a healthy Marshall with Robbie Anderson, I mean, they'll have something cooking there offensively if Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey are good to go. Right. And they needed cornerbacks. They their cornerback situation was dire. Absolutely. And so, JC Horn. Do we know he's Joe what? Horn's son? Yeah. Cell phone Joe. Cell phone Joe. Hide it in the pad. Yeah. Underneath the field goal pad. Great, great, great fucking move right there. It's That's just so crazy cute. to me to see all these kids in this draft, and that Rock this is what started it. Like Randy right. Moss's kid. Like how well. old do we feel now with, with <laughs> Joe Horn's kid? And then that'll slide us right into the next pick, Ernesto. With the Denver Broncos not taking a quarterback, how the fuck did they not take a quarterback? Because Anybody. Mark Schlereth said that they they had a done deal getting Aaron Rodgers. He tweeted out the deal was done. <laughs> Taking Patrick Sertain, completing the double middle fingers to the Dallas Cowboys, taking the cornerback out of Alabama, Patrick Sertain, the second. Yep, it's unfortunate. And so that's it. Like I said, that's another kid. Patrick Sertain, senior, was a Dolphins cornerback for a long time. Very good player in the NFL. Solid pick. And then at this point, the Dallas Cowboys are like, all right, fuck us, I guess. We'll just just trade down at this point. doesn't even matter. And the Philadelphia Eagles take Devontae Smith. Howie Roseman was fucking pumped about it. But I'll tell you who was not pumped about it was senior football advisor Tom Donahoe. Donahue? (laughs) Donahoe? You call him Donahoe. Donahoe. It's Donahoe. Who on national television with millions of people watching – was just sulking in the fucking corner as Howie Roseman's doing a fucking lap, pounding everybody up. He comes over to give him daps, and he basically slaps his hand away. And you can see like Howie be like, oh, hey, man, what's up? 
He's just like, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, the sentiment was agreed upon. I don't know if you saw this other clip of the Eagles fan freaking out and then punching two holes in his wall. And his wife is just like, are you kidding me? You drunk asshole. Go upstairs, you fucking idiot. It's amazing. So Devontae Smith could obviously be a bust. He's small, but he could also be like Isaac Bruce or Marvin Harrison. Um, he's really good at getting open and running good routes. So, I mean, I think Philadelphia isn't the perfect place for him, unfortunately. I would have liked seeing him go maybe to like an in- like indoor – Right, like an indoor track or a faster yeah. field. Like I don't, I, I don't like him playing outside in weather. Cold but, weather. Like, yeah, I just feel like that is going to sap some of his speed and elusiveness. So, I mean, I could be wrong. Deshaun Jackson did okay for some years there. He didn't put up huge numbers, but he put up some big games. Yeah, I think he could if he stayed healthy. A couple seasons ago, Jackson had that potential, but you know yeah. with Hertz coming in right it's just going to be interesting to see like if they can get this offensive machine rolling with Hertz and some of these weapons i hated that even though it didn't make a difference that we trade let them trade up to that i never like to trade a pick up in people in my own division right there. right i was so weird i was like oh the cowboys are just going to let the eagles take Devontae smith even though the cowboys had no need of receiver obviously they couldn't There's take no him no need for it there but i just but it's still really it's make weird sense. i know they I know they gain one third round free asset, it, but I, I would not, yeah. I would never ever give up but then, any, any cat, any, any space, any move up to anybody in my division ever. Yeah. It was interesting to say the least. And then at pick number 11, we had the next exciting thing to happen in this draft. We had the Chicago bears move up and take the New York Giants spot here to take yet another uh, swing at a, Franchise quarterback, will Justin Fields cure what ails the Bears? So this is the situation where uh, Pace and Nagy are kind of running out of time in Chicago. So they had to be all in and make a move. So they trade up from number 20 to number 11. They gave up a lot, lot, a lot to move up. And they spotted their guy Fields and they went and got him. Is it a good fit? Remains to be seen. A lot of people like it a lot. I've seen so a lot of people give the Bears top marks in this draft and in A overall. And you don't don't see many A's given out. I have my doubts because quarterbacks and the Bears have just never been a fit. And a guy like Fields, who's been the knocks on him is that he's a one read guy. Um, even though he's played well outdoors and outdoor games at Ohio State, Chicago is a, is I feel like a tough place for a quarterback to excel. Maybe the running will help him. I have my doubts. I want to like it. I'm trying to like it, but I, I don't know that I do. Not as much as other people, and I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they had to give up a lot in that situation right there, and I just don't see where they go with this. If this is, like you said, if this is a fail right here, and he doesn't produce oh, that's numbers. That's it, yeah. Nate's They're gone. all in. He's gone. They're all in. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, now my boys are next. Yeah, and then so after all that, this was it. After all that, the Cowboys, the most talented defensive player, yes, character, no, but the right fit, no. Micah Parsons. Do they need a linebacker? Not necessarily, but you know, this is a situation where the Cowboys came in. They didn't sign fifth the fifth year option with Vander Esch. Uh, you know, they negated the nine million going to him. They're going to put pressure on him and pe- people behind him to earn his spot and get back to where he played a couple of years ago. 
but this is a situation, you know, he, he's a downfield, he's going to plug holes, he's, he's going to be great for the run defense on that side. But where Dallas was really hurting towards the end of the season, you know, they, this is a team that gave up 158 yards the last six games, was averaging that for a defense, which is just abysmal, uh, to say the least. And we knew this was coming to the load on the defensive side. But I, I was with you right there, Johnny. I thought they were just going to take Collins from Tulsa at this point, take somebody super smart that could come in and learn the system quick and be right there to go. But So Marty and I thought that Zayvon Collins would be the first linebacker taken. And so yeah. – and, and and so the odds on favorite was Michael Parsons. Parsons was like minus 500. But, you know, for me, I know I had sniffed out the character concerns. There's there's, there's some nasty hazing stuff. Bad going back. hazing. Bad yeah. hazing stuff. Like we're like, talking great. genitals. And, yeah, we're talking some ugly hazing incidents in Parsons' past. And there's a lot of immaturity. He's only played linebacker for one year in his life. And then he sat out 2020, the COVID year. So he only has one year of linebacker experience. Now, is he insanely talented? Did he run a 4-3-9-40 at his pro day? Yes. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot of huge upside there. But the concern yeah. is – the maturity on and off the field. I mean, and how does that fit on a team that lacks that leadership defensively? Right. Yeah. And so then him I, and Zeke already playing tummy sticks, like right. tweeting back and forth. Keanu Neal switching over to, to linebacker as well. We'll see what Jalen Smith brings to the table this year. But, you know, I think this is more just an answer to, you know, 13 missed games for Andrew in the last three seasons that they, that that person falls, that somebody can step in right away and be a force. So Shout out to Sean Lee retiring, finally getting rid of that motherfucker. Absolutely. I mean, he was great <laughs> when he was at Especially early, early he on. Should, he should have retired three years ago, in my mind, after that neck injury. But, you know, this is a situation, I think this was a, a knee-jerk reaction out of fear more than a calculated pick for the Cowboys, which, what they do. It's what they do. is when the receivers were available last year, and they're just like, they really just go there? After taking Amari Cooper the year before. So they, they just go with what they think. Or how they're feeling in the moment. I don't think I. When it comes to Jerry Jones, I don't think there ever is a design set plan. So I liked what their their plan of or what they were able to accomplish as far as trading down and yep. accumulating five top one hundred picks and then just loading it up with defensive players. Yeah. I, I liked that approach. I just I had issue with some of the players that they took on those five one hundred picks. But I liked the the acquisition of the draft assets right. and what they were doing. But I just I had an issue with some of the players that they were taking. So completely agree. And next up, we had the Los Angeles Chargers taking Rashawn Slater. Easy peasy. From Northwestern. Protect Justin Herbert. Absolutely. Finally, somebody with some sense. And then at 14, we had New York Jets taking Elijah Vera Tucker, guard out of USC. Now they're going to protect their young quarterback. Another another smart move here. The Jets had a really good draft. I thought the whole AFC East did well. Yeah. And then at 15, we had the New England Patriots taking Mac Jones. It was really funny to watch the coverage Mac Jones was getting throughout the night. He was clearly very uncomfortable for much of that, which is sad when you see somebody fall in the draft. But one of the things that I enjoyed was watching him run out to dap up all of his Alabama guys and each one with a little bit less enthusiasm. Like the first one, it was like huge, like, yeah, you fucking made it. Bye. <laughs> and then the, and then 
And then by the time it got to Patrick Sertain, like he just like came out and waved at him. <laughs> it was it was really funny. But he walked to Roger Goodell like he had a big old shit in his pants and uh, had quite <laughs> had quite the gait there. And when the video came out of the Patriots war room, it was a little bit less than enthusiastic. Bill's so, like, are, are we doing this? And then, yeah, that was staged. Like, give me a break. Like, Bill doesn't have all and all final say and authority on everything and everything. <laughs> like, give me a break. Are we okay with this, guys? Like, he doesn't just say, this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> him, him and, and Saban decided that over dinner a week before. Well, okay. So here's the one little thing about that. So we heard that they were in on Jimmy G on a trade earlier in the day. And I think that he wanted Jimmy G back, but of course only at the number he wanted him at. And then I think I've hear, I'm hearing he wanted Zayvon Collins as the 15th pick in the draft. And I think he would have been fine if Mac Jones went earlier and it, he just got to take Zayvon Collins at 15 and then take one of the second round quarterbacks, be it Trask or Mond or Davis Mills uh, later on. But being that Mac Jones was available um, and, you know, there's Robert Kraft is around and there's pressure, uh, pressure around. And, you know, Belichick it, it, and is kind of immune to pressure, but this has been different without Brady around. And this past year has been different with Cam Newton at quarterback and a lot of people questioning Bill and the Patriots and what they're doing. So I'm not sure. But when you put how Belichick reacted talking about Mac Jones after drafting him and you put that next to how Belichick reacted after he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round in 2014. Man, there are stark differences. Yeah, Jimmy, exactly. Bill was so excited, and he couldn't wait to talk about how good Jimmy Garoppolo was and how old Tom Brady was and what contract his contract situation was. And then Mac Jones, it's like, well, he was available, so we had to take him. And it, he yeah. just did not seem enthused. And I don't know what's going on, but... Maybe there was pressure from Kraft to say, "Listen, we got to Mac Jones is the guy here." I mean, he fits in Josh McDaniel's system. I mean, he, he is does. a quarterback, so he's a fit. So maybe that was a little bit of that pressure from from Kraft to say, "This is the guy. This is the best fit of where we're picking right now." I mean, they had a hell of offspin. They spent some of the most money they ever have in Belichick's era as a head coach. It's Patriots. They had to. They had holes you know, galore. Well, this goes to prove again, like Brady makes him better because Brady leaves, goes, wins a championship, and, and Belichick rests on his laurels and believes that he can make anybody great. And he failed miserably this last year, so he had to step up and, and eat crow and, and be a person he didn't want to be. He had to get talent. He had yep. to get, get talent. And so the one thing is Mac Jones does kind of fit the offense because he's very, very smart and intelligent. And so they can go back to running their offense with a lot of pre-snap stuff, which is what they like to do over the years. And they weren't able to do with Cam Newton last year because of, well, Cam Newton. Uh, so, <laughs> and But the, another the strange thing was Bill has always said, we're going to do what's best for the team. And that's like his motto. We do what's best for the team. We do what's best for the team. We do what's best for the team. But when pressed after the draft, who's going to be your starter? Uh, he said, Cam Newton's our starter week one. Cam Newton's our starter week one. And when pressed, when will Mac Jones be starter? He said, well, we'll see. So what? I, my mind, well, what happened to doing what's best for the team? Because what if Mac Jones can throw the ball and Cam Newton still can't throw the ball? 
Are we going to still let Cam Newton be the week one starter? Because that's not doing what's best for the team. Cam Newton's going to have people to throw the ball to this year. So I think they're just going to see how it goes. And regardless of how he performs. Did you watch Cam throw last year? Regardless of how he performs, Cam Newton's a great pro. And it'll be good to have Mac Jones see the process of being a professional quarterback in this league. He's a former MVP. Like yeah, his bench was Super Bowl. You don't say was a great part. His great shoulder part is sapped, man. He throws right. like a can of paint or skipping rocks. He can't throw. Right, but the the intangibles are still there. So starter week one makes a lot of sense. We'll see if Mac Jones is the starter week four. Moving on to pick sixteen, <laughs> Arizona Cardinals take linebacker out of Tulsa, Zaven Collins. Oh. Um, Man, they are making that defense something special. Just having picked up J.J. Watt in the offseason. And uh, Simmons Carol- the year before. Cardinals might really be something this year. So yeah, They were pumped to get him here. They they were they were super thrilled. I saw the owner and Kingsbury and everyone, and, and they were just like ecstatic. Because I think that they thought that there was a chance that the Patriots and Belichick might take him here. Because Zayvon Collins is that kind of Urlacher, uh, Dante Hightower hybrid uh, linebacker that you can put him anywhere. You can put him on the line. He can cover guys. Uh, he, he can do it all. And so he's good against the run. He can play in the pass. And he's a leader. So he has the entire package here. And that Tulsa team, he t- he led that Tulsa team just to the bowl game and got bowl game MVP. And he was everything to that Tulsa team. So I like him a lot. Next, we had the Raiders taking Alex Leatherwood. This was the first what the fuck is happening here <laughs> yeah. uh, moment of the draft. He was easily uh, a late round second pick. Yep, I totally agree. This is a typical Raiders going where everyone else is bonkers going what seems to be the right path. The Raiders, and it'd be one thing if the Raiders won and were like successful doing this, but they always go away from the grain, off the grain here. And do something wild and crazy, and it never never works out. So that's why it's like, oh my god, here we are the Raiders again doing something silly. Why not take Darisau right there? I think he just has a better asset. God, I don't know. It just blows no, my mind. Like nobody you said, knows. It's just, it's just the yeah. There's there is no there is no rhyme, no or, rhyme reason. or reason. They just they right. do Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> and then at eighteen, the Dolphins pick up Jalen Phillips, defensive oh. end out of Miami. Another steal here. And the only question with Phillips is can he stay healthy and on the field? And if he can, oh, man, what another great pick for the Dolphins uh, for their defense. And you're going to get one of these guys that's going to lead the league in sacks or come close to it because he gets he can get to the quarterback. Uh, so, yeah, they're just a great pick. At 19, the Washington football team, maybe the Washington Red Foxes, who knows? Stupid. Red Wolves? Red Wolves. No, no, we've we've decided against that. Oh, we've, we've uh, moved on this year? We have, yeah, I can't say it anymore. They take Jameen Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky. It fills a need. I, wasn't, I didn't have him, uh, I didn't see him going this high, but they've done a good job putting the core of that team together. So, I mean, I'm, and it fills a need for them. So I'm not going to question it too much. Number 20, we had New York Giants uh, via Chicago taking Kadarius Tony, wide receiver out of Florida. Eh, and I'm not in love with this pick. I just, 
think that there's other ways they could have gone. People are really talking up the Giants' draft performance, too. Um, and I, I also wasn't very uh, enthralled by this first pick. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I don't see it. Um, and Florida receivers, to me, have never really delivered on the promise. They, they seem to come with more baggage than they're worth and more promise than they fulfill. So, yeah, I'm not was, a huge fan. Do you, that was just trading down to get a first-round pick next year, I, I, but I didn't expect that pick right here. Was this one of the wide receivers that were bigger? I know there was only like a couple prototypical big guys go up and T- get it. Tony guys. is a gadget guy who his yeah. productivity will be dictated by the creativity from the infamously uncreative offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Buzzinga. Okay. He's, he's six feet tall. He's not towering or anything like that. He's no. a stud. I mean, he's a strong, like, physical guy, but I don't think he was the pick. Next up, we had the Indianapolis Colts taking Quiddy Pay, defensive end out of Michigan. As long as they went D-line, I was happy, and they did. Awesome. At 22, the Titans taking Caleb Farley, quarterback from Virginia Tech. This is their like new thing the last three years is they take the injured kind of value guys. And last year's first round pick for the Titans went AWOL and went crazy and is out of the league. <laughs> and so they weren't scared off by what happened last year at all. This guy's had back surgeries and he was supposed to be a top 10 pick, Caleb Farley. But of course, you know, with the health scares and back issues at cornerback is not usually a good thing but the titans said screw it uh we like the value at 22 that he could potentially provide and so they pulled the trigger and it could work out great because he's talented but it could work out poorly because he's a huge injury risk so we'll, we'll see uh, but they're clearly not afraid to take the risk at 23 we had minnesota taking christian derisa the best old yeah. lineman in the draft i thought he would have gone sooner Rock solid. Yeah, it'll help out Cook and and Cousins. So this is a good pick for them. Then my boys, the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24, taking Najee Harris. This was all but a foregone conclusion. Uh, We knew it was going to be Harris or Etienne, whoever was on the board at that point. And then at 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars took Etienne, uh, running back out of Clemson. Again, another matchup with Trevor Lawrence and Etienne being boys from Clemson. And Johnny scored on another the win. Uh, yeah. another Over one and a half. Another W, one and a half running backs in the first round. Yeah. And so, and then Urban Meyer comes out after the draft and says, We see Etienne, Etienne as a third down back. And I'm like, You just picked <laughs> number 25 in the first round on a third down back? Really? Yeah. I, and it doesn't make sense because they had uh, this. They had James Robinson, who was undrafted free agent. He was the offensive rookie of the year last year. He was phenomenal, running with power. He was really good. And then they signed. Uh, they put a couple million towards signing Carlos Hyde in the offseason. Yeah. And so this really wasn't a need for them. And if you're really going to use Etienne as a third round back, what the hell are you doing? I've heard a few things about holding Hyde. About midseason, trying to get trade value or something out of him. I don't know why you come out and make or say things like that, and you want to still still have him produce for you. But you know, this is what Urban Meyer does as well. He he just speaks before thinking about it, and I don't know why 
why they went here with that pick, like you said, Johnny. But who knows? I mean, you got to imagine the ATN is going to be the feature back at some point, right? I mean, I I at don't see point. that's got to be the plan. Because, be, and I feel I would, bad for Robinson because Robinson was just when you're an undrafted free agent and you put up a season like he did for a team like Jacksonville. Yeah. He, he really didn't deserve to get burned the way he did. But unfortunately, when you spend a first-round capital on a running back, if he's decent, he's, he's going to get the job most likely. How was Robinson out of the backfield last year, Johnny, numbers-wise, is catching? Because I know that that's one of ATN's strengths. Is right, so it's more of a power runner. Yeah. So, I, I mean, they really could go Robinson on first and second down, running the ball, and go ATN third down back. But yeah. Usually you take a third down back later, later, later in the draft instead right. of 25th overall. But what if ATN's in the slot on okay. first and second down okay. and I then gets the maybe. power runner in third? You know, like maybe they're trying to revolutionize the position a little bit. Yeah. Get, get creative with it. Like a McCat, like with like what Carolina does with McCaffrey. Right. Yeah. You know, move them all over. Okay. At 26, we had the Cleveland Browns taking Greg Newsom, cornerback out of Northwestern. Great, solid, solid pick. Yep, can't can't argue with this one. It's another good, good pick. Baltimore Ravens getting Rashad Bateman, wide receiver from Minnesota. I mean, they've just been searching all offseason for receivers, so them picking a receiver was a pretty high percentage of them taking a receiver at some point because they got spurned by so many receivers in the offseason. They've just been searching, searching, searching. And I think Bateman's a good pick. And I, I don't know that he's a great fit just because I don't know that Lamar Jackson, I, I don't believe in his throwing ability, period. Uh, so we'll see how it works out. I, I just don't think you're going to get star receiver type production from this guy. I mean, maybe he'll be put up value and to the team. And it won't be his fault. And it won't be his fault, exactly. I thought Elijah Moore out of Mississippi would have been better taken fit. That bit better of fit. fit, yeah, better you fit. Know. Agreed. At twenty-eight, the New Orleans Saints took Peyton Turner, defensive end out of Houston. Um, yeah, so the Saints clearly have um, age and holes at linebacker and edge, and that's what they addressed. Uh, in this draft with their first few picks. And I think Peyton Turner is solid, not spectacular pick. At 29, the Green Bay Packers give Aaron Rodgers the middle finger and take Eric Stokes, hey, cornerback dude, out of Georgia. Did you see, uh, like, King, the cornerback King, how how badly he got burned in the NFC Championship game last year? That's so, true. That's true. So, uh, how is this hurting Aaron Rodgers? You you needed defensive cornerback help. They needed the, the shore up this area, and Stokes is a stud. So this really helps them defensively. Like I just don't understand you guys. I know you want an what? offensive weapon, but you got to stop weapons. the defense. They got to stop the defense. Weapons. Okay. At thirty, the Buffalo Bills took Gregory Rousseau, defensive end out of Miami. Good. I mean, I don't like him as much as Phillips from Miami, but I, I like him. His stock kind of dropped. What do you think? It did. Last year? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Another, another guy that needs to stay on the field. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens via Kansas City were able to pick up Jason Owe, defensive end at a Penn State. I'm trying to replace uh, Matthew Judon here. And then finally, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking Joe Tryon, defensive end out of Washington. 
very another very good pick. Um, and they don't have many holes, but Jason Pierre is getting up there in age. Jason Pierre Paul is getting up there in age, so this is a good guy to put underneath him and you know, spell him when he needs a rest. And Joe Tryon's fantastic. He's one of um, the guys I like. They really like him. So we'll see. He's got a good motor. All right. And Johnny, if you want to take us through the highlights of the following rounds, uh, anything stand out to you or uh, worth note? Yeah. I mean, I thought the Jets did a good job grabbing Elijah Moore with the second pick in the second round. He was a guy I would have liked the Patriots to grab, especially losing Julian Edelman, because this would be just a perfect plug and play replacement. But the Jets snagged him. And then the Broncos take potentially the best running back in the draft. Javante Williams, running back out of North Carolina. This is a really good fit, and it probably spells doom for Melvin Gordon in Denver. I really like him a ton. I thought the Patriots trading up from 46 to 38, they identified that Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore was a player that had first-round grades. But again, he's had some questionable character issues. But this guy... Has is in like a Richard Seymour type mold. He could be an anchor for the Patriots defensive front for years. He's like a Trey Flowers, Richard Seymour type. And to get him where they got him at 38 overall is a ridiculous steal. And I'm sure he was happy about that. The Bears followed up the Fields pick by taking um, YouTube workout sensation offensive tackle from Oklahoma State, Tevin Jenkins. So they get their, their quarter. He, he does all the outdoor workouts. Did you see his videos? He did like the Rocky workouts yeah. with the with the lifting, the, the, the trees. and the, Yeah, exactly. So it's a good pick to protect fields with. So I, I like it. And let's see what else we got here. Just kind of going down the line. Asante Samuel Jr., the cornerback, who is, um, I just can't believe Asante Samuel's Makes kid is in the NFL. Makes me feel old. Makes me feel old. Uh, Chargers via Florida State. So a good defensive pickup there. Uh, Rondell Moore, receiver, goes to Arizona. Tiny. A um, little bit on the tiny side, but probably a, a good fit for their offense as they needed another younger receiver to pair with Hopkins. All right, big fall here. So a good value pick was uh, Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. The 20th pick in the second round, linebacker out of Notre Dame, goes to the Browns. So the Browns had a terrific draft as well. Um, I see them getting getting top grades. And then the Steelers go Pat Fryermuth at tight end. I did not like that pick, Nesto. I mean, you'll be lucky to get a starter out of this guy. Uh, questionable pick by the Seahawks right after that. 24, Dwayne Eskridge, the receiver out of Western Michigan. I mean, not really a need. Seahawks have always done their own thing. They only had, what, three picks on this draft, and receiver wasn't a need, so they go with a Tyler Lockett Jr. type. And I don't I don't really understand that. But And then I mentioned earlier that the Panthers took Terrence Marshall Jr. out of LSU because of the affiliation with Joe Brady. And then the Bills, I like they got Carlos Basham Jr., edge rusher from Wake Forest. He's good to pair with Rousseau. Um, we saw that they had defensive line issues against the Kansas City Chiefs when they played them in the playoffs. And so they get a couple nice young guys to pair up and hopefully improve their defensive line. Well, hopefully not, but hopefully for them. And then an interesting pick was the Green Bay Packers at the 30th pick in the second round went Center Josh Myers over Creed Humphrey. I think most people had Creed Humphrey as the better player here. 
and more physical player here, but the Packers decide to go with Josh Myers out of Ohio State, and then Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma, falls right into the Kansas City Chiefs' lap here. Which was a so, gift. A, a gift, gift, right? And then finally in the second ah. round, the Buccaneers take Kyle Trask, who has a like, kind of a big arm, and he can – it wasn't really – the Bucks didn't have a need, but I probably would have preferred them to go – with something else, because I don't think Brady's going to be into tutoring a young quarterback much, so I'm not sure how much Kyle Trask is going to learn on the job. So I just think that might be a wasted pick in a few years down the road. Um, we'll see. Kellen Mond goes in the third round, pick two to the Vikings, kind of a Colin Ka- Kaepernick type. Davis Mills, so this is the Houston Texans' first pick in the draft. And they go with Stanford quarterback Davis Mills. Obviously, they don't think that uh, Deshaun Watson's probably going to play again for them. I, I don't know that Davis Mills is that is the guy, but I mean, we're gonna we're gonna find out. I think because it looks like he's going to come right in and play. And Mills, unlike Mond, is highly inexperienced. He's only made eleven college starts, but apparently there was enough intrigue in those starts over the last two years to interest the Texans. Uh, Mills was once rated higher as a recruit than Tua Tagliavoa, so he definitely has talent, but injuries, and he wasn't able to beat out K.J. Costello in 2019, so that hurt his stock. Uh, but with like with Watson's status in limbo, Houston had to, had to felt like they had to go quarterback, so they go Davis Mills here. So, um, And if you're in a dynasty league, I think that he's going to go higher than he probably should. That's well, he's going to be the starting quarterback. You know, if he's going to a guy, it's going to be a starting quarterback. He's going to have value. Yeah. Third round. The Packers take Clemson wide receiver Amari Rogers in the third round. So he should be a player. Something oh, to finally, add. Finally, a, a weapon. I mean, it's a top 100 pick. It's, <laughs> top 100 picks are expected to be starters. Um, the 49ers select Trey Sermon, running back out of Ohio State, who I personally don't like, but coming from his own scheme at Ohio State, he'll fit right into the 49ers' zone running scheme. So it's a good match. Um, for, if you had to t- take one team to put him on, the Niners were the perfect fit. Um, and then the Texans, with their second pick in the third round, go wide receiver Nico Collins, big big wide receiver out of Michigan, um, who didn't play last year but put up big numbers the year before. I, I like him but I just don't know that I like Davis Mills a ton throwing on. Another guy is Elijah Molden, cornerback out of Washington, compensatory pick number 37 in the third round to the Titans. He's kind of in the honey badger type mold. He's someone you might want to to watch out for. I think he's going to be good. And um, the cornerback out of Syracuse, Melifonwu to the Lions is a good pick as well. Um, That's it. The first three rounds, top 100 picks. Um, So we'll just leave it at that. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Johnny, for that insight. Last couple things here. We are running very long. And like I said before we started, just a lot of just a lot to talk about. <laughs> so thank everyone for hanging in there with us. Just want to give a quick recap for your team of the draft. Um, I'll start with mine. Uh, obviously, we started with Najee Harris, and that was clearly a mandate from the Roonies. The Pittsburgh Steelers rushed for the fewest yards and yards per rush of any team last year. 
and that is not Steelers football. So so clearly they were told to fix things. And also losing Alejandro Villanueva, good riddance. Uh, Matt Filer, that's hard. And Marquise Pouncey, thank you for your service. But it's tough to fill. I was really looking to get offensive linemen in this draft. And we didn't necessarily get the linemen, but I, I think we did make our run game better. Uh, Najee Harris being the crown jewel in that effort. But I think it's interesting to note that the Steelers took four offensive players in their first four picks for the first time since 1984. Clearly a concerted effort. Pat Fryermouth again. Yeah, I was really hoping to get Creed Humphrey there. I thought that would be a good pickup at center. But clearly they were looking for the Jesse James replacement. Yeah, I mean, give um, me a break, man. You let the Chiefs get him. Like, come on, dude. Like, what? What do we like? What is the Chiefs' flaw? The offensive line. Like, let's not help them. <laughs> but having a good pass catching tight end will make your run game better. So, fuck it. We'll go with it. Kendrick Green, eighty seventh overall guard from Illinois. I like it. I actually think they're going to transition him to center. He he did play a tiny bit of center, so I think. You know, he's a little bit of a brick shithouse, 6'2", 305 pounds, quick off the ball. I think he'll do well. Then we had Dan Moore, tackle. You know, we got Zach Banner and Chooks for there. So uh, he's more of a depth guy, but he's huge, 6'6", 311 pounds. We took a linebacker, Buddy Johnson, a defensive end, Isaiah Loudermilk. This guy, 6'8", 293 pounds out of Wisconsin. Had seven and a half sacks in his career. He's going to be an edge rusher, but not necessarily uh, one of those pass rushing guys, more of a set the edge run stuffer. Excited to see what he can bring. Quincy Roach, outside linebacker. Trey Norwood, safety, I think, you know, with Steven Nelson and Mike Hilton leaving. And then now some clouds in the distance surrounding Trey Edmonds. We'll see how that goes. But Actually, one of my favorite picks of the year, round seven, 254th overall, Presley Harvin the third out of Georgia Tech, the punter, Jordan Berry's replacement. This guy is fucking awesome. He is the first black punter to win the Ray Guy Award, which is like the best punter in college. He has a massive leg and, you know, special teams wins games, so... I uh, I look forward to seeing if uh, he, he makes the team. <laughs> Who's next? Marty? So we know what we did with Micah Parsons in the first round of the Cowboys. Uh, we took Kelvin Johnson, 44, the second round. This is one of my favorite picks. If you guys remember when Kentucky played Alabama, he was the one cornerback mm. that I remember like that could really shut down. He was very explosive, could really keep up with the receivers. He had a pick off Mac Jones. Yes, he did. Super long. Uh, he's 6'1", 192, but he has almost a 6'7", arm span. Super talented kid. Um, we had to address that corner spot, so that that was a great pick for the Cowboys right there. Round 375, we took Osa Arigazua, the edge out of UCLA. Super leveraged monster. Uh, he likes to get up under his blockers. He's very physical, um, solid athlete. He's super long, too. Uh, I think he's almost like a 6'8", arm span as well. Crazy 
weight on this guy. So it tells me he has a lot of muscle because he's 6'2", like 279 pounds. Looking at him in the combine, very like Metcalf kind of like physique to this kid. And then we took another edge in the third round. Uh, that was Chauncey Golston. So I love how Dallas really addressed that. I didn't think Golston was the guy right there. You know, this was C-plus rate. But, you know, he's a hardworking machine. So I think this is a guy who can get in camp and, and improve. Jabiro Crocs, this is probably one of my favorite picks, getting down into the fourth round, right out of the top 100 picks. This guy was at 115. One-year guy, smooth ability, um, just really thrived in the one year that he played with the LSU. Great defensive scheme system. So it should be a good fit at linebacker as well, which we said, you know, there might be some linebacker situations coming ahead for the Cowboys. Offensive line, I thought we needed to address more in the early rounds. In the fourth round, we took Josh Ball. I, I really thought that we would take uh, Minerts out of Whitewater. I think is a um, small university, but this kid is a monster. Broncos got to him a little bit in the later round. but I thought. Oh, yeah, kid, I liked him. I thought with Kendrick Green right there for in Illinois and Spencer Brown and, and Robert Housie, who's a great offensive line system in Notre Dame, that he would have gone first before Ball, but I don't know. He, he came out of Marshall and they saw some. This guy's a B6, 8, 309 pounds. Uh, he's a bull rusher, so maybe this is trying to get, you know, Ezekiel back in the push game and, and, and start averaging like three and a half a carry again off the ball. Took one wide receiver down in the fifth, which kind of was a head scratcher to take a wide receiver out of Stanford. That was Simi Fajoko. Long kid, 6'4", 220. He has definitely size and speed, so he can get open. And then we took another lineman down in the sixth, as well as a cornerback in the sixth. So really don't need to get him down to the low. We did take Farinook late in the seventh out of Nebraska. Another another huge big kid, 6'7", 335. So hopefully we can develop some backups on that offensive line because that really hurt us last year in the pass protection and in the rushing game. So it looks like we went heavy on bull rushers. Uh, so maybe a different kind of running game scheme that we're going to try to push before. But uh, definitely developed the pass protection since we're getting Dak back after that gruesome injury this year. But all in all, defensively, I think that was a great draft for the Cowboys. Mika Parsons still was a head-scratcher for me. That was my only, like, pissed-off moment that I had with the Cowboys in this draft. So all in all, I'd probably give them, like, a, a B, B-minus for the whole draft. Yeah, so they say that the Cowboys wanted Tyson Campbell, but the Jags took him. Yeah. Um, and that... Kelvin Joseph brings character concerns, irritating two different coaching staffs at LSU and Kentucky. So McCarthy and Quinn will have their hands full. But if he matures, he has serious skill. He's a blazer with great ball skills. Yeah, he, so, he's, a, he's, a, he's a plant and cut kind of guy. He can make up ground on a, on a bad beat, too, which is good. Because yep. that's what we suffered last <laughs> year, is letting, letting those receivers get beyond our defense. All right. All right, Johnny, uh, do you want to represent any team or are you just stuck in the ether here? Yeah, um, Buccaneers weren't very active. Didn't so need to be. They don't fucking need it. Didn't need to be. So, I mean, we did who Joe Tryon and Trask, their first two picks, and then they took a line alignment in the third, which looks to be pretty good. But I think the Patriots are the, probably the one to talk about the most. We talked about Mac Jones. We talked about Christian Barmore, another great pick. Maybe the best defensive tackle of the draft. The Patriots get him at 38. And then they get another edge rusher, Ronnie Perkins, who's equally good against the run as he is against uh, the pass. And he was another guy kind of slipped with some character issues. Um, so the Patriots got great deals on Barmore and Perkins. Belichick kind of just reloading that defense. And then in the fourth round, they go Ramondre Stevenson, running back out of Oklahoma, who's kind of um, a Garrett Blunt type but with hands 
And they're saying that the Ramondre Stevenson spells the N for uh, Sony Michelle. The writing's on the wall for him to be shown the door, um, especially since he can't catch the ball. So it sounds like Stevenson could get some run right away with Damian Harris. And Damian Harris, we know, has had his issues staying on the field. Stevenson could be a good dynasty pick in, in the lower second, early third round. He's more he's more of a bruiser, right? Oh, he's like LeGarrette Blunt type. Yeah, he yeah. is he is uh like very very physical, but he has good soft hands as well. The only thing that he lacks is that extra once he gets out into the open, he doesn't have breakaway speed, but he's very physical. And so, you know, the Patriots, well, since they in the last couple of years and with Cam Newton, they are looking to go kind of old school football and Brian, the game's down to a halt, a lot of ground and pound, a lot of physical running the ball. And with the two tight ends they added in Henry and Jonu Smith, I think they'll kind of do running the ball and short passing game and keep the score low and play good defense, at least until we see Mac Jones. I think that'll be the plan. So I think Steven, like I said, I think Stevenson could be a part of that. Fifth round, they love their Michigan linebackers with, oh my God, who's the Chase Winovich a couple years ago, and then they took his partner Josh Uche last year, and then this year they go back to Michigan with a linebacker, and they take Cameron McGrone. I don't know if McGrone will be as good as as Winovich or, or Uche, but he is a name to look out for. He has some skills. In the uh, sixth round, they go with a guy safety from Missouri, who wore number 11, which is funny because his last name is Bledsoe. And so he really doesn't need to change his number or they don't need to make new jerseys because <laughs> they've already got Bledsoe 11s stocked up from the years. It's just Fucking weird, isn't bargain. it? Bargain. Fucking bargain. Just go Bledsoe 11. Print them up. Here we go. Josh Bledsoe, safety out of Missouri. Uh, pick 188. I don't know if he makes the team. 197 offensive tackle Will Sherman out of Colorado. And then last but not least, in the seventh round, they go receiver, finally, 242, Trey Nixon, wide receiver out of University of Central Florida. Almost assuredly better than Nikhil Harry. <laughs> and he goes in the seventh round. I mean, the Patriots are have been good at hitting on the at the undrafted and the late wide receivers, but if they take a wide receiver in the first three rounds, he's sure to fail. So maybe look for Trey Nixon to be good because – Taking a wide receiver early has not been a good plan for them over the All years. All right. Thank you, Johnny. And, guys, we are here at the end. I love you so much. On your way out, let's do a winner, a loser, and your favorite moment. I'll go first. Okay. My winner was Chicago. I loved them moving up for fields and uh, also taking Tevin Jenkins. I thought that was great. My loser was the Raiders. Leatherwood was fucking nuts and then they drafted three safeties uh in the later rounds which just made no sense after kind of going in on travid moaning and then my best moment of the draft was uh naji harris throwing his draft party at the homeless shelter that he was at for a couple years when he was a kid you love to see a character guy like that coming into your organization and Seems like he has a lot of talent and is also a good dude. So that was my favorite moment of the draft. Marty. Just to get it out of the way, that was my favorite moment as well. So you took that one from me right there. But uh, as far as 
Best draft? I go back to Carolina. I think taking that calculated risk with Sam Darnold and you get J.C. Horn, a quarterback right there. You got Robbie Anderson coming out. Um, this is a team that's taken a risk, but I believe in Coach Rule. He's playing the long-term game. This is a guy who has a has a long-term contract, so I, I think he's playing the long game right here. And, you know, he, he turned the Baylor program around. He got in with Scott Drew when he got there because Scott Drew has turned that basketball program around. He's a character guy. I think he's going to hold uh, a hard line and make his players toe that. So I think he's a winner, and Carolina's a winner in the draft. Overall loser, I think it just depends. I go back to San Francisco with this. I, you got to play him, and something's got to develop out of this. And, and if it doesn't, that's that's a huge black eye on the organization and Shanahan as a whole. And I'll just keep it as simple as that. Okay. I'll just give you a couple of with the draft winners as far as team grades. I thought the Bears and the Browns were in the A range. We got the Chargers, the Dolphins, and the Jets right behind them with high Bs. And then losers, I thought the Texans, obviously, and the Rams, who didn't have just they didn't have a lot of draft capital. I thought those were the two worst as far as drafts go, the Texans and the Rams. I thought the best players, best fits. I thought Darisaw was a good fit. Terrence Marshall was a good fit. Joe Tryon, Asante Samuel Jr. And I thought the Raiders did really good picks two, three, and four. Malcolm Kuntz, Divine Diablo, and Tyree Gillespie. So as much shit as we give the Raiders, I thought they did a good job there. And then just kind of as an overall biggest loser, I thought the Cowboys were forgetting Michael Parsons. I just don't I don't like him. And I think guys, it's not a good fit. And I think they just didn't need a guy with character concerns in that situation. I think the biggest winner could be Mac Jones in the Patriots system. And Zayvon Collins, obviously, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then... Best moment. Uh, best moment for me, it was when the Jaguars took Travis Etienne because I was like, boom, over one and a half running backs taken in the first round. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so selfish, Johnny. Uh, yeah, that's me. I was able, I was heading to bed. I was like, uh, you know, I'm getting tired. I'm going to go to bed. I'll just wake up and find out in the morning. And as I was turning off, I see Etienne picked. I'm like, boom, win. Now I can go to sleep. All right, so I'll give an honorable mention for best moment to Quiddy Pay telling his mom that she can retire live on television. That was another (laughs) fucking awesome moment. Boys, love you a long time. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, This is a long one, but well worth it. Love you guys. Sounds good. Have a good night. See you in playoff time. Oh, yeah. Adios.